Welcome back to Hot Takes Only, episode 14. Uh, my name's Owen. We got Willie in the building, and by the building, I mean Claremont, California, not the same spot as me. Uh, we will be in the same place to do this podcast one day. Uh, that used to be the norm, I guess, when we were living together last summer, but I digress. Willie, we're back. It's been too long. How you been? Oh, I'm, I'm great, buddy. How are you doing? Uh, I'm great, and... Uh, it's it's not just because the uh, the 2018 Boston Red Sox won the World Series on Tuesday night or anything, or was it <laughs> was it Monday Sunday? It was Sunday night. God, I can't remember how long it's been. Sunday night, the Boston Red Sox finished off the Los Angeles Dodgers in five games, as yours truly predicted. Uh, it never really was much of a contest, especially after uh, the what was it seventh, eighth, and ninth innings of Game Four. You kind of knew it was going to be the Red Sox, uh, not. Not who, but when they would they would end up wrapping up the series. And Willie, I want to get your takes on the Dodgers in a hot second. But first, I want to, uh, and as I have done repeatedly, both offline and I think on the show, maybe the last episode or the one before that, talked about how wrong I was about the Red Sox bullpen. Uh, I had called the Red Sox, and I quote, the worst 108-win team in the history of baseball. And I stood by that up until the very end. I am here to say, uh, through no shortage of of happiness with the fact that I'm wrong, that I was wrong, and I will I will live with that. I can live with that because the Red Sox won the World Series. Now, if they would have lost that series, I would have thought, okay, you know, whatever. They weren't they weren't really meant to go anywhere. The bullpen wasn't where it's supposed to be. But Alex Cora having not only the the balls but also the the brains and I guess in some point rolling the dice in having starters pitch so many innings out of the bullpen, namely Chris Sale, Rick Porcello, and my boy Nathan Ivaldi, who is going to get a big payday <laughs> as a free agent in the offseason. Oh, um, and so keep going, keep going. No, I was just going to wrap it up and saying, you know, I was wrong about the Red Sox. I thought they'd do much worse than they did, but here we are. They're world champs for the fourth time in 15 years, and let the party continue. So. Oh, and knowing the Red Sox as well as you do, and then being your team, what for you? What were the what were the biggest keys to their to their playoff run? Um, it, it was honestly everything. Uh, the the role players showed up when they needed to. Obviously, Jackie Bradley Jr. not uh, someone that a lot of analysts had on the short list for American League Championship Series MVPs when the season when the uh, season and the postseason first started. But obviously with those those nine RBIs in three games really did a number on the Astros and, and Jackie Bradley Jr. coming up in a huge way was was, was just enormous for them. Uh, also getting props to the pitching. Uh, Chris Sale, not really know what you're going to get out of him, both in the ALDS, the ALCS, and in the World Series uh, coming out and just doing Chris Sale things and, and kind of getting it done when he didn't really have his best stuff in the entirety of the postseason. Uh, and then obviously, you know, I think the it's kind of hard to be an unsung hero when you're making $30 million a year. Uh, but David Price doing what he did mm-hmm. this season, uh, this postseason, getting the proverbial monkey off his back. Zero wins in the postseason as a starter. Prior to this year, he now has three in his last four. Uh, and I, I think a weight has been lifted off his shoulders. And it'd be, it'd be really interesting to see what happens next year. Uh, the Red Sox, of course, uh, one of the teams that, has one of the it has a, they had the high pay, highest payroll in baseball, excuse me, and 
they don't look like they're going anywhere. All their players are young. Um, obviously, they might lose a couple players in free agency. Nathan Ivaldi looks like he's going to get a big payday. Mm-hmm. Maybe not one the Red Sox will be able to afford or will want to spend money on. Um, and a couple other pieces in the bullpen as well. Craig Kimbrell is also a free agent. Mm-hmm. So the Red Sox may have to look to other options as far as getting a closer is concerned. Uh, but all in all, the core is still very young. You think of players like Rafael Devers, who's still just 22 years old, even look, right. looks like he's 12 years old. Uh, Jackie Bradley Jr. still in his, his early to late 20s. Mookie Betts in his early 20s. Xander Bogart's in his mid-20s. Andrew Benintendi in his early 20s. Uh, this team is is built to last a long time. Chris Sale, I think, has one more year before he hits the market. Um, and the Red Sox obviously hoping to tie him down to a long-term deal before that happens. That's a lot to think about, uh, and there's a lot that, that the Red Sox did well in the postseason. That's why they rolled over one of the teams that really got hot when they needed to in the Los Angeles Dodgers, uh, getting pushed to the brink by Milwaukee, but ultimately the playoff experience and just the, the timeliness of, of the way some of their players stepped up uh, in the Milwaukee series was really big for them. Uh, unfortunately, uh, they regressed to the mean a little bit in the World Series, and for the second straight year, the Dodgers came up short, which it was disappointing to see just the way they came up short. Um, obviously, having worked for the Dodgers for uh, about two years ago, or the Dodgers <laughs> Network, uh, you, you know, I got to take a really good look at the, at, at the, the organization as a whole. It's a very classy organization uh, with a lot of really good fans, really passionate fans. Although the one thing I will not agree with, and I'm interested to get your take on this, <laughs> Willie, when I'm done rambling here, is Dave Roberts. I think he's the right man for the job. Um, and, you know, it's one of those things where a lot of Dodgers fans don't want to see him around next season. He hasn't officially been re-signed to a contract. His contract did run out at the end of the season. But the consensus is around baseball that he's going to stay as the Dodgers manager. Okay, and I'm done. Willie, tell me about the Dodgers. What are your thoughts well, initially? Yeah, we have a lot of few things to discuss here, buddy. This is very exciting. And I want to get your take on some Red Sox things. But with regards to the um, to Dave Roberts, I, I do think that these are two two of the – in this series, these were two of the best managers in all of baseball. I think Dave Roberts is one of the best managers in baseball. The players, you know, when you listen to their interviews, they really speak about he's a good guy who can really connect with the players. And I think that – Throughout the season, he seemed to have a good relationship with the front office. And with overall, I think with, with all the guys that they had, he did a pretty good job of rotating everyone. But, Owen, oh, you know, we try to tell it like it is. And, and I think we'd be doing the viewers a disservice if we didn't talk a little bit about um, his managing in this World Series. And, you know, um, listening to the postgame show of Frank Thomas – David Ortiz and Alex Rodriguez, um, all three of them were very critical of his managing in the series. And um, Alex Rodriguez, at the end of Game 5 of the World Series, looked in the camera and he said, can the Dodgers honestly say that they put their best foot forward in the series? And he said the answer was no, for two reasons. Number one was the, um, the, the, the pitching. Um, obviously, everybody's going to point to um, taking Rich Hill out in, in game four. Um, that was a big one considering also not only then you decide to put in Madsen and um, Jansen, two relievers who really struggled in the series. Um, additionally, putting Alex Wood in game one when Pedro Baez against lefties. Lefties were hitting under 200 against them in the last few months. That's a controversial thing. And then, and then also his managing of the hitting. For example, I think 
yes, we'd be hip, you know, this platoon system didn't work. And yes, you know, sitting all the left-handed hitters in games one and two, I know you're going to say, yes, well, they didn't hit well in games three and four and five. Well, guess what? If if you're a guy like Cody Bellinger who, who sits the first two games, I, I think you have no rhythm in the series. So, yeah, I mean, what do you think, Owen? Because I, I also agree, you know, it's – well, the Red Sox – at the end, the better team won, but – when you you're the the team that's not as good and you have a slower a slimmer margin for error, managing can make a bit of a difference. And I think in this series, it didn't help things. Uh, so I will preface this by by saying that I have a soft spot for Dave Roberts just because of what he did for the Red Sox in '04. Um, he will for me always be one of the guys that was part of that kind of band of idiots. Um, he you know he only joined the team at the trade deadline that year uh, from from the Dodgers, ironically. Uh, sure. and helped them to their first World Series title in 86 years by that stolen base in Game 4 of the ALCS. I mean, that's that's literally how far it started with Dave Roberts. So I, I do have a soft spot for him. Okay. What I will say, though, is going in order of, I guess, the big talking points. Uh, we'll start with Rich Hill in Game 4. Mm-hmm. Um, I am okay with that decision, even though I personally don't agree with it. I'm okay, okay with the decision of taking out a starter if – the Dodgers don't put in Scott Alexander. You don't oh, absolutely. Take out Rich Hill and right. put in a player who has had not only trouble throwing strikes all year, but when he has thrown the ball, it has been 95 miles an hour, 92 to 95 miles an hour, right. with very little movement over the heart of the plate. In the big leagues, mm-hmm. every single hitter is going to put the barrel of the bat on the ball. They're either going to hit it out hit it into the gap, or hit it down the line. Those are not pitches that you can fool people with. I don't care what kind of mechanics you have. And it's just a really tough pitch to miss if you are a big leaguer. Now, what I will say is that by bringing in Alexander, who threw four balls and was immediately taken out of the game, Mm -hmm. and bringing in Ryan Madsen, the thinking is you have a guy who has closing experience, who has been pitching good but not amazing, which mm-hmm. at that point of the game, I will take. Uh, and Madsen is ultimately the one who gives up the big uh, home run to Mitch Moreland. Who is to say that if Dave Roberts puts in Julio Urias and Pedro Baez, the outcome is any different? Because this is one of those cases where if you're a manager and you make a change in a big spot and it pays off, you're hailed as a genius. Mm-hmm. But if it doesn't pay off, you're a fool. And unfortunately for Dave Roberts, he is being pegged as the latter because of the change that he made that did not pay off. Well, clearly, clearly, okay. I think the Dodgers liked their chances by bringing in Matson. If they if they liked, if they didn't like anyone else in that spot, or if they they didn't like Matson in that spot, they would not have put him in the ball game. Managers are not stupid in the way they manage games. It's just a, it's just they're playing with such fine margins that it's really really tough in some situations to put it all together and i think there's a there's a premium on on relievers who can come in in big spots mm-hmm. and unfortunately for the dodgers they didn't have any of those this year sure and their guy kenley jansen their closer their best pitcher in the bullpen by far uh is the one who gave up the game tying home run to steve pierce so who is to say that if a different pitcher is on the mound for the dodgers the result is any different. Who's to say if it's Rich Hill, it's not five runs in an inning. It's six runs in an inning. Who's to say that's not the case? 
So it's I think it's a really tough thing to put on Dave Roberts. Yes, ultimately he's the one who makes the decision, but he's not the one who throws the ball over the plate. The players do that. And unfortunately, we live in a world where players can't really get fired. They can't really they can't really get punished for these kinds of situations. It's the manager. In this case, I think the manager trusted his player a little too much, maybe to a fault. Who knows? Um, but I mm-hmm. think it's it's really hard to put it on a manager when the manager is not actually playing, which also, conversely, leads me to kind of pump the brakes a little bit on the changes that Alex Cora makes. Because who's to mm-hmm. say in that 18-inning marathon game that Nathan Evaldi comes sure. in and can't find the strike zone? I mean, what's he yeah. obviously pushed all the right buttons when he needed to, but who's to say that it goes differently the next time? That's something well, that I think really we need to talk about a lot more than just the end result. So, so a couple, a few points to your thing, Owen. Um, first, on the Dodgers and then on the Red Sox and Alex Cora. So first, I 100% agree with you on Scott Alexander. You know, yes, he he's specifically on the roster to get uh, lefties out, but he could we agree he's the worst pitcher in the Dodgers bullpen? He wasn't Absolutely. on the NLC roster. He really struggled during Absolutely. the regular season. So you don't bring him in there. Um, but uh, you're this is a Red Sox team that's uh, incredibly, incredibly explosive. Um, and we know that they could break out any time. And they were really struggling to get momentum in games three and four. And the last thing that I think that you should do is bring in a guy in Ryan Madsen who he gave up runs in game two. In game one, yes, he technically didn't give up runs, but he inherited Clayton Kershaw's runners and gave up runs. He wasn't the hot hand there. I think you go right for the jugular there and you just keep the hot hand rolling because you know the Red Sox can can pounce on, on any mistakes. So, so that's that. Um, and then in terms of the Red Sox, absolutely. You know, we, we'd be a hypocrite if we didn't point out Alex Cora. Now, as great as some of the players say he is, and, and we'll get into what made him a special manager, but first of all, in game three, not only could the Evaldi decision have backfired, but you leave out, you take out J.D. Martinez out of the game, and Andrew Benatendi didn't start the game, and he pinched hit. But by taking out J.D. Martinez and not having Andrew Benatendi in there, that lineup looks a lot less scary. Particularly the Martinez one, that could really backfire on them. And then at the same time, Owen, you know, in game four, I know it's one of those tricky things. But, you know, I thought that – I told you, like, I thought that when Yasiel Puig hit that game four home run, it was over. And so you could say by leaving Eduardo Rodriguez in the game too long, all of a sudden, you know, uh, if if the Dodgers tie that up, the series two to two, it's a new series. And we're looking at Alex Corrin saying, oh, boy, you know, you – possibly factored into the Red Sox losing games three and four. So he would have taken a lot of criticism too. So it's funny how those things go, you know? Yeah, it's it's one of those situations where I think we get carried away talking about the managers. And this goes to every sport, every team mm-hmm. sport. We talk so much about the managers and the coaching. But at the end of the day, it's the players who have to perform. Now, there's a difference between good managers and bad managers, but I'd say the difference between a good manager and a great manager is is a lot closer uh, than the former. So, I, you know, to me, it's it's not so much that Dave Roberts cost his team a World Series or Alex Cora won his team a World Series. It's more doing little things puts his team in slightly better positions to capitalize, and they capitalize. That's not the same with the Dodgers. Now, sure. 
I obviously was wrong about the Red Sox bullpen, so I'll mm-hmm. refrain from really asserting this point too hard. But I do believe, mm-hmm. and you and I have talked about this extensively, uh, I, I do believe the Dodgers are a little flawed in their roster construction. Uh, and mm-hmm. some of the players that they um, that they have signed or brought into the organization, actually, oh, the subject, David Freeze today signed a, uh, a yeah. one-year $5 billion deal, so he's going to return to the team. I think that's a great pickup. He's really versatile. He can play anywhere uh, along the middle infield, uh, except for really sh- short or second. He can play the corner infield and maybe the outfield as well. Me too. Uh, Me too. But there was a line that Alex Cora said uh, it was a little ways before the beginning of the World Series, I think. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's see if I can find it. But it was basically like, uh, you know, nowadays guys hit 220 with 30 homers and 80 RBIs. Here uh-huh. it is. Uh, we live in an era that 210 with 30 home runs and 70 RBI is acceptable. It's a good mm-hmm. season. We don't believe that. Sure. Uh, and I think that ultimately is the difference between the Dodgers and the Red Sox. Alex Cora is a manager who will take all the information he needs to. And this is something I talked about on the Fox mm-hmm. postgame show as well. Uh, Alex Rodriguez, David Ortiz, and and Frank Thomas. They talked about Alex Cora as a manager. He'll he'll get all the information he needs to, and then he'll make the decisions. Now, analytics will tell you that the guy hitting 210 with 30 bombs and, and 70 RBI is a productive player, that he's driving in runs, that he's he's you know he's contributing to the offense. Whereas you look at a team like the Red Sox, they're not necessarily trying to leave the yard on every other pitch. With them, it's more so if it's a pitch to do damage with, you try to do damage. Mm-hmm. But if it's something that you can't, you just put it in play and make the defense make a mistake. And that's the difference between the Dodgers sure. and the Red Sox all season. J.D. Martinez hit 330. He also drove in 130 runs and went yard 43 times. Those are unreal numbers, mm-hmm. and they're ones that, quite frankly, you wouldn't see from anyone on the Dodgers. It's because they're they're tailored to hit the long ball, and that's what they try to do. Max Muncie, I think, hit what two two fifty this year. Yeah, that, but he that's, hit thirty five homers. That's that's a good, absolutely Owen. I think you hit it right on the nail. Um, this, like they say, you know, good, good things happen when you put the ball in play. And this was a team. This was a Red Sox team that they they struck out significantly less. Like you say, they try to put good swings on the ball in their two strikes, and then you know clutch hitting. You know how, how many there there was never any easy out like the Dodgers. How many? I have a stat, and you might have read it that they hit uh, three oh nine with runners on base in the series. Um, and how many two out runs did they get this series? I mean, a lot, right? It, it was the most by far of anyone in. At least in recent history, and if in not, the, if not the, the entire postseason and the recent history. Mm-hmm. And, and so, Owen, is that a? Do you think that that's something that, when it comes to two out hitting, you know, do you think that this is that is kind of a thing where it's it's a small sample size and maybe they just got hot during the postseason, or do you think that's more of a, a skill that can be really? Replicating, like you say, it's flawed roster construction on the Dodgers. I'd say it's a little bit of both. Um, I'd say with the Red Sox, they they play a stock. They they're a little more. I mean, I hate using this word, but they're a little more athletic in the way they play. They want guys who are, you know, may not just leave the yard twenty five, thirty times a season, and then Mm -hmm. five or six in the postseason. They want guys who 
may be able to hit those numbers, but also will steal 20 to 30 bags. Mookie Betts sure. is the first 30-30 player. Um, at least recently, my memory – I mean, I, I remember reading it when he, yeah, when he hit his 30th homer. He was already at 30 stolen bases. Um, that's a good point, yeah. But but wow. players players not only hitting for power, um, but also understanding there's a there's a speed element to the game. That's important, and if you have it, use it. Um, sure. The Dodgers don't seem like there's many guys in the roster, and the one name I can think of in the organization who was really missing during the postseason was Andrew Tolles. Andrew Tolles yep. is a guy who could run, he could hit for average, and he's a guy who can really set the table for the Dodgers. They didn't have that guy in the postseason. I mean, really, the only guy I think who could who could really run out of that group of Dodgers is Kike Hernandez. Now, I'm not saying anyone else sure. is slow per se, but he's the guy most likely to run or to be a sure. hit and run. And he never hit at the top of the order. He was never the guy to get on base to start the game to really set the tone. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Dodgers weren't a team to put a lot of hit and runs on. And, yeah, that, yeah. And just by listening to the commentary of a lot of the games, we heard a lot. The hit and run helped the Red Sox avoid a double play. That is so clutch to keep the momentum going and to think that, okay, we're still here. We got a man on second. There might be two outs. Uh, just get the guy over, get him in, and that's when good things start to happen. Yeah, absolutely. That's a that's a absolutely great point, you know, um, particularly when you talk about a team like the Dodgers we talk about who – they struggle with with runners on base, uh, may, or, or just to you know make the right play with runners on base. So maybe you know getting the run game on, like you said, getting those hit and runs and extra base here or there can make all the difference, you know. And then you talked about Mookie Betts zone. I think he's a great example of a guy who doesn't try to do too much. He hit I think three hundred or more with two strikes. Like he's a great example. You're probably likely MVP. You know, hits that is that good where it's you know it. I just felt like in the series, it was like every Dodgers, like you said, not only was there not a running factor, but it was a lot of Dodgers hitters. It's like, you know, you knew the high fastball was coming. You knew there there was going to be easy outs, you know? Yeah. And I, I want to talk about a couple guys in particular on the Dodgers. Yeah. Um, okay. Number one is Cody Bellinger. And, okay. you know, it's kind of hard to pin it on him because it's this was his only second full season. Or only his second full season in the mm-hmm. bigs, but Cody Bellinger was, I believe, uh, I believe he had one hit in the World Series, and at least, I want to say at least eight strikeouts. Mm-hmm. Um, Cody Bellinger simply was not good enough in the World Series, and it is, it is, I'd say, partly because of this this launch angle phenomenon mm-hmm. of players trying to put the ball in the air, not sure. realizing that. The approach in baseball with two strikes mm-hmm. has always and will always be contact first. Mm-hmm. Um, now, obviously, my baseball career ended faster than it could start, at least at the middle school level. So mm-hmm. I'm not one to to really talk about it. But this year in the World Series, Cody Bellinger was one for 16 with six strikeouts mm-hmm. and no walks. So mm-hmm. to me, that, that says a couple things. That means he's either swinging out of his shoes trying to put the ball in play mm-hmm. or he's swinging and missing. Mm-hmm. And for a player with as much hype that he had or as much hype surrounding him in in the series uh, just did not perform. Uh, compared to last year in the World Series, he actually had worse numbers statistically. Uh, he was, let me see, 
seven, eight for 29 mm-hmm. with 17 strikeouts. So last okay. year was even worse comparatively. Um, this year, obviously, with a smaller sample size. But the the big thing with the, with Bellinger is that with a player of his talent, he, you'd think he'd be able to make the adjustment to sure. put the bat on the ball first and, and not worry about putting it in the air second. Well, you know what, the, Owen? I, I think there's a couple things to unwrap on that. Uh, number one, um, yeah, you know, that's an absolutely fair point. Uh, the numbers weren't there. The numbers weren't there last year. Certainly, when you look at it, um, he he needs to be more productive. Um, there, are, like Yasiel Puig, had a great series, but but he didn't. Absolutely can't have that for a player of his caliber. But this is again where I think Dave Roberts. And listen, I, I don't know how much of this comes from the front office, but whoever it is, you know, one of the things that they talk about managers. I'll, I'll give you a great uh, analogy right now. They're talking about the Lakers. They're talking about. Should Lonzo Ball or Rajon Rondo start? And Luke Walton decided he's going to start Lonzo Ball because the wisdom is that Lonzo Ball is, has kind of a fragile psyche. He's a young player, and that if he came off the bench, A, for his confidence, and B, for his rhythm factor, he wouldn't be as good. Same thing with Cody Bellinger. Cody Bellinger had a great second half of the series against Milwaukee. He was your best player in games four and five. He made all the difference. And then he had a home, a two-run home run in game seven, which really distanced yourself. And then Dave Roberts doesn't start him in game one and two. Now, yes, I know that you had two. You had Chris Sale and David Price, two left-handed hitters. But if I were Dave Roberts of the front office, I, would, I, I know I'm not the manager. I'm not smart. But I would have said he's the kind of guy – that has a fragile psyche. He hasn't had the most postseason success. He could really benefit from getting a hot start to the series. I would have started him in game, at very minimum, one of the first two games in Boston. Let him play the series because you know that if he starts the series well, he could have carried over. That's my opinion. So I, I don't think it's entirely his fault is what I'm saying. No, I, I get that. But the only thing I'd counter to that point is the fact that, okay, say he starts against Price and Sale okay. games one and two. Okay. Say he goes 0 for 10 combined with eight strikeouts. Mm-hmm. Do you think that does more harm to his psyche than coming off the bench in those games? Because I personally think if you're there in the World Series on the biggest stage at Fenway Park and you're striking out eight out of ten times, that that's going to hurt you more than not playing at all and having the potential to pinch hit and come off the bench and deliver a late hit in the game off of a right-handed reliever. To me, that's that's the bigger question mark and i think that's it not being able to play with that kind of risk is something dave roberts took into account when he put the lineups together or whoever does the lineups i don't know if it's the front office i don't know where the decisions come from from in the dodgers um but mm-hmm. uh, you know that's one well, of the things you have to kind of think about as well but what i would counter to that point is by saying that um well, well what's easier on yes like if he had gone over 10 or something that would have been Bad, but I think they would have been doing the right thing by trying to get his confidence. And what I would say though is that against the hard throwing, like that's not easy, Owen, to come on off the bench and have to face like Joe Kelly or Craig Kimbrell who throw you know a hundred. <laughs> you know what I mean? That is that is the last thing from easy. Well, so, it's, it's it's more pick your poison. You know, it's it's do you want to face David Price and and Chris Sale two three times through the lineup, or you don't want to face Joe Kelly or Craig Kimbrell once. With well, them I'm, knowing that if they mislocate their fastball, you could easily hit it out. 
Well, yeah, but also maybe if you get a few at-bats under your belt earlier in the game, maybe you're seeing the ball a little bit better. You know, to come into a high-leverage situations late in the game like that, I, I don't know. But then you're you also know? seeing kind of different stuff. So it's it, there, there's – I mean, I, I just feel like there's a lot to kind of consider in that situation. Yeah, that's true. Now, so I, there's no right or wrong. I, no, You know, it's definitely. not easy it's, to be a manager. No. But <laughs> Oh, and I want to ask you about the, um, the Red Sox bullpen. So I have some – some uh some stats here about the the, the splits um so ryan brazier in the postseason uh 1.04 era um in the postseason uh you have uh craig uh matt barnes uh 1.04 era in the postseason after almost the four era in the regular season and i don't have joe kelly's but joe kelly i think was a sub one era so what did you see from those guys and and who who impressed you the most Honestly, I'd have to say I'd have to say Ryan Brazier and Joe okay. Kelly. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, those are the two we're talking about in particular. Sure, any anyone just, from just the bullpen? A, anyone there, from the was there a third? I'm sorry, I missed. Oh, uh, Matt player. Barnes. Barnes. Um, honestly, I'd have to say Joe Kelly. Um, of those three, yeah. you saw better performances out of Brazier and Ke- and Barnes consistently throughout the season. At least when when Barnes was with the with the big league club. Um, Kelly was one of those guys who he started off unhittable in April, right mm-hmm. after the whole Tyler Austin fight, and then it was just straight downhill after that for for Joe Kelly. Point seven nine year in he couldn't find the strike zone. He couldn't throw Jeez. strikes at all in the regular season, and the clock, the calendar hits October, and he's Nolan Ryan. It's it was incredible mm-hmm. to watch him pitch. The, the life he had on the fastball, the movement on the changeup sure. and the breaking ball, crossing up the home plate umpire and Christian Vasquez at the same time in the Houston yeah. series <laughs> is going to go down as one Incredible. of the funniest things I've ever seen in my life. Absolutely. Absolutely. To, to throw a strike right down the middle, maybe a little low in the zone, but it's in the zone, and mm-hmm. have the umpire see it get crossed up by the catcher who got crossed up by the pitch because it was so filthy and have it be called a ball – to me is one of the absolute filthiest things you can do as a reliever. And that is not something Joe Kelly had or was doing at all in the regular season. And to see it happen in the postseason was just amazing to watch. Um, obviously credit to Barnes and, and, and Brazier who were as good as they were. Brazier, a sub one ERA mm-hmm. for a player. Sure. Or a, a, just above one ERA for a player who made his major league debut this year, kind of journeyman minor leaguer. Uh, it's just incredible. So, just, you know, really, really impressive stuff top to bottom. But I have to say Joe Kelly was just phenomenal in, in the postseason. Sure. Um, so, I mean, yeah, th- those guys were incredible. And, I mean, I guess, Owen, do you think – I mean, do you think – because I think this is interesting, right? Because we always talk about bullpens. Now, do you think that in the case of their bullpen specifically – I mean, do you think that this was just a hot streak again, or do you think that guys like Joe Kelly and Ryan Brazier specifically, and, and really Joe Kelly specifically, like underperformed in the regular season and got it together in the, in the postseason? Uh, I'd say it's a little bit of both. I'd say he definitely did underperform in the regular season um, because we saw when he first was mm-hmm. converted to a reliever, the potential to be, a, to be really solid was there. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think there's a little bit of – kind of overperforming in the mm-hmm. postseason that helped him. Um, sure. I think 
you know, it's 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 hard to tell what a player is going to do based on the regular season work. I mean, you've seen guys who take Aaron Judge for example. He's a star in the regular season. What does he do in the postseason? Turns it up a notch. And there's sure. guys like Mookie Betts who are stars in the postseason mm-hmm. or stars in the regular season and don't perform at the same expectations. Right. Now, Mookie Betts obviously got he you know he performed well in a different way this year. Obviously, mm-hmm. the throw in Houston, the home run off Kershaw in Game Five, and uh, the stolen base and scored run in the first inning of Game One. That set the table for the rest of the game and really the series. Um, so you never really know what's going to happen, but I do think mm-hmm. there's a little bit of overperforming when it comes to Joe Kelly. So, yeah, it that you didn't see that coming if you if you watched Joe sure. Kelly's uh, body of work in the regular season. Now, it's not to say the stuff is not there because the stuff has always been there. It's just the command wasn't there early in the season, earlier in the season, and mm-hmm. it, we saw it on full display in the postseason. Sure. It was it was just incredible to watch him. Uh, I mean, what a inc- you know an incredible story to see him just. I mean, he he was really unhittable, Owen. I mean, he was unhittable, I mean, and yeah, seeing seeing him get up was was like a death sentence in in the postseason. I, absolutely, no, I, absolutely. So a couple more talking points to bullpen. First, um, what are, what are your opinions on um, the use of Alex Cora of of the starters in the bullpen throughout the playoffs? Again, I think it's one of those things where it's a stroke of genius if it works. It's stupid if it doesn't. Obviously, it mm-hmm. worked. So he's, I guess, in theory, a genius. Um, mm-hmm. I think we're we're in this point in baseball where a lot of teams are going to look really hard at their bullpen because of what happens mm-hmm. in the postseason, and I don't think that's sustainable. You look at teams like the Tampa Bay Rays, who won 90 games. They were yeah. in playoff contention in every other division of baseball except for maybe, maybe the NL West, but no, probably the NL West. I mean. pro- or sorry, the AL West. Sorry. Yeah, AL. Um, yeah, yeah, AL West. Right, right. But, but every yeah, other division, they're in contention. Absolutely. Um, it's it's incredible to see that that a team can throw one starter, one true starter. Blake Nell is probably going to win the AL Cy Young. Who really should win the AL Cy Young? Yeah. One true starter in their rotation. And bullpen the other four days of the of the, of the quote unquote rotation. That's inc- yeah. That, that to me is is sure. I don't want to call it short sighted, but I think it's it's looking at bullpenning mm-hmm. with, with rose tinted glasses. And I think we saw ultimately in Milwaukee that you know yes, it's good to have a shutdown bullpen, but it's even better to have good starters and a serviceable bullpen in October. Um, because sure. in a seven game series, when you get to see pitchers over and over again, um, the same guys, if one guy of that, say of that, let's take Milwaukee, for example, that three headed monster in the back of the bullpen with Hader, Knable, Knable. and Jeffress. Yep. If one guy's not on his game, which Jeffress clearly wasn't this postseason, right. then the whole usage kind of gets moot because you don't want to use Knable three days in a row. In a row, you don't want to use Hader three days in a row. And if you can't use those two, you have to result to other guys in the bullpen sure. who are good but don't give you the same kind of shutdown dominance that the back end gives you. Sure. So if you're going to your back end of your bullpen at the second and third inning, then at the end of the game, if a team as deep as the Dodgers were get the opportunity, they're going to do damage. And we saw in the end of the Milwaukee series that's exactly what happened. It's yeah. not to say the idea doesn't work. It sure. just might not work in a seven-game series. Yeah, twice. absolutely. 
Well, it, it, it killed it killed Milwaukee because they overused their bullpen, and you can argue that that's part of the reason that they some of their guys struggled in some of the key games. I think I think more the best idea is I think what we're going to start to see is less set guys. So I don't think I think that it's important to get depth from your starters because over a seven game series you can't have bullpen games quote unquote that often. I think what you're going to start to see is you know, um, the the evolution of, okay, in, you know, if, if your team's winning in the sixth or seventh inning, don't save, if your closer is your best pitcher, put him in the sixth or seventh inning. Or, you know, don't, don't, you don't have to, we don't have to have your sixth and your seventh and your eighth and your, your ninth inning guy. You know, uh, Milwaukee did that. They were not afraid to put their, uh, their best player, their best pitchers in the bullpen in earlier if need to. Um, I mean, Dave Roberts tried to when he put in Kenley Jansen in the eighth inning in game four. That didn't work. But, and Alex Cora is aggressive. But I think that's more what's going to happen, to be honest. Um, yeah, I, I, I kind of agree with that. I think it's more so kind of what Terry Francona started in Cleveland. It's mm-hmm. more so at, you know, the not the first sign of danger, but if you think that that, that something could sure. get out of hand, you get, your, you get your big guys and you throw them in there. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know if, if, if that's – truly going to be sustainable or if that's Mm -hmm. the direction we're going i think it's certainly it works in certain situations but of the last two world championships or the last two Mm -hmm. last kind of i'd go all the way back to three teams win the championship no i'd go even further than that the last the -hmm. last few world series champions all of them have had either a okay 2014 was an anomaly because Madison Bumgarner that mm-hmm. year, game seven that year was unreal. Um, yeah. 2015 with the Kansas City Royals, they had a good bullpen, but they also had very good starting pitching, and they, they got did. a lot out of their starting pitching. That's right. 16, same but story with the Chicago. They had the, right. They, they they were very effective in the bullpen, but when they got to the seventh, eighth, ninth inning, you know that that's when. But they got enough out of their starters. Yeah. Like you said. And Chicago the next year, kind of the same story. They went and got a Roldis Chapman. They overused yeah. him a little bit, and that's what I'd argue made the series yeah. go to Game Seven. And he blew the save in, in Game Seven. Yeah, as well. exactly. Give that home run to Rajay Davis. It's, it's it's once you start seeing the same pitchers over and over again, sure. big league hitters are going to eventually time it up mm-hmm. or find a way to whether it's a, a knock the opposite way or you know a little blooper here. Um they're going to find a way to get something done. And I think big league hitters are too good to not kind of catch up to it. Yeah. Um, and then the last year with the, with the Astros, the Astros had one of the best starting staffs in baseball last year. And what did they do? They got Justin Verlander and they got a lot of innings out of McCullers and Morton who were pitching out of their minds. And they got yep. uh, a lot out of a bullpen that was good, but not amazing. And then, Obviously, this year the Red Sox. The narrative mm-hmm. had been David Price not being good enough in the postseason. What does he do? He throws zeros in pretty much every game he's in, or throws sure. one or two runs at the most over six or seven. I mean, he had a dominant performance. So that tells you that it's not just having a fantastic bullpen that wins you games in October and wins you World Championships. It's starting pitching as well, and you have to have starting pitching because you play seven game series or five game series, then seven, then seven. That's right. Over the course of regular season, it's fine because you don't play the same team more than three or four days in a row. But in the postseason, 
you're bound to play them multiple times. And if you if you think about it, I mean that's absolutely right. Uh, if you and if you think about it, if you factor in the two Kershaw games and uh, Ryu's game in game two, um, the Dodgers starters pitched them out of three games essentially. Um, I, I think you're absolutely right about about the starting pitching and just on the point of of David Price, we got to touch on him. I mean, how great a story. Oh, and listening to his his comments, um, and listening, to, you know, seeing him cry and listening to him comments about having the upper hand in the media, you know, you can tell, you know, players are humans. They're they're sensitive too, and and some guys are obviously like more criticism. Uh, some guys are more sensitive to it than others. I'm thinking about guys like Kevin Duran or David Price, but you can just tell how much this meant to him, and and how even if he, you know, um hasn't even in his own words hasn't pitched up to the contract that he got in Boston how you know these last three games that he started um for as well as the the relief appearances he had um you know he f- will have that always on his legacy and that seeing how much it meant to him and how much people praise him as being a good teammate was really awesome to see yeah um I'll, I'll touch on that in a second but did you really just bring in Kevin Durant into that conversation. Well, because Kevin Durant's very, he's been known to be very insecure. Yeah, and that's not a bad thing. I'm a little salty too, but no, you know, I mean, but but Kevin Durant did something that's just it, it's 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 still beyond frustrating to see happen as a sports. Sure, and, but my point, yeah, and it's it's yeah. just. I mean, I know what your point was, and and I'm, I don't mean to nitpick, but I just can't get over people defending Kevin Durant's move from sure. a team that blew a 3-1 lead to the Warriors joining the Warriors who oh yeah. by the way had four <laughs> had three all-stars on sure. that in that starting five and mm-hmm. won an NBA record 73 games. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, no. I can't I can't defend yeah. that. Now I can I can defend other things. Sure. I can defend David Price taking a massive contract to go to Boston, but I can't defend KD going to the Warriors. Well, you know, I, I guess it just what you could say I, I agree. I think it was a really soft move, but you know, um, both those guys really wear it on their sleeve and are very, you know, vocal about how much the criticism has affected them. You know what I mean? I mean, Kevin Durant has burner accounts on Twitter, so sure, of sure, course sure. it means something to him. Yeah, and, and that doesn't mean right, and that doesn't mean that the criticism is wrong necessarily. Um, but you know, like it, it's just it was so nice to see with David Price on yeah. that. No, and, and, and going back to a sport that I'm much more familiar and actually care about these days. Um, yeah, it is nice to see out of David Price. It's nice to see him get that monkey off his back. It's nice to see him be, you know, the guy now. He's he's no longer this. Oh, David Price is good, but he's not that good because he can't pitch in the right in the postseason. Um, the unfortunate thing is Kershaw still has that that kind of yeah. surrounding him, and I think yeah. he always will. Um, even right. if he wins the World Series, I think well he could have had two or three. Um, yeah, and that's the thing when when you are as good as you are, and, and I, I liken this to LeBron James a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, is sometimes for our superstars, for our best players, our our, our great athletes, we move the goalposts a little too much. Absolutely, um, like right. With that's LeBron, the goalposts get moved literally every game. It's it's absurd because he keeps setting the bar higher and higher for himself. That we feel the need as as members of the sports media and as sports fans mm-hmm. to move that for him. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that, but you know, that's, that's neither here nor there. Mm-hmm. Bottom line is Kershaw is, is unfortunately still in this situation where he's, he's in a tough spot for, 
yeah. for anyone to handle, much less someone who is consensus one of the greatest pitchers of this generation. Just yeah, unable to get done in the right. postseason. And I think, yeah, and I mean, I think he's improved in the postseason recently. And you know, he had some uh, good starts too in in the Atlanta series. Um, but yeah, I mean, his one of his starts in the Milwaukee series, and then um, his two starts in the World Series. I mean, and then if you think about, like I said, I think it was Game Five last year's World Series. Unfortunately, it's really unfortunate to see. And you just hope that um, he also gets his moment of, of redemption too. Yeah, I mean, you you would definitely hope that. But I think with Kershaw, um, you can't really factor in the Atlanta start. And I'm not going to say the Braves mm-hmm. are bad this year because they won the division. They won 91 games. Sure. But they had a team that was reliant on young players, either rookies or second-year mm-hmm. players in Acuna and uh, Albies Jr. Or they were relying on the contributions of Nick Markakis, who's in his yeah. 30s. Uh, and it, it just it, they're relying on journeymen like Tyler Flowers and Kurt Suzuki mm-hmm. uh, and guys who had been all over the place, Charlie Culberson. Um, it wasn't something you felt was going to be sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we will see the Braves regress a little bit. And to see Clayton Kershaw kind of pitch against them. I mean, the Braves... Let's let's not open this can of worms about Atlanta sports teams. Let's just move on. The Braves, <laughs> the Braves lost in the playoffs. We get it. Sure. Kershaw pitched well against them. Ryu shut him out. Or yep. Pitched a great game against them. We get it. We don't need to go into it. Although Acuna did tag up Walker Buehler for a, a, a good old he did. Uh, grand salami. So, yep, that he did. You know. he, <laughs> no they did deal. get the best of the Dodgers in that but, game. But, I mean, but that hit aside, that was pretty much the only offense the Braves had in the whole series. Acuna didn't perform. Albies didn't perform. Marquecas was mm-hmm. over, I think, in the playoffs. Um, Fultonevich sure. wasn't good on the mound. Um, neither was Sean Newcomb. I think that was ex- – I expected Newcomb yeah. to be really good in the first place. But – you know, it's good to see the Braves, the Braves in the playoffs. I wasn't expecting anything less than or anything better than a first-round exit. I was actually predicting sure. a sweep, so to see them win one game was kind of nice. Was something. But, and, um, yeah. End of the day, I'm, I think the Braves are, you know, they're around. On the come-up. They're on the come-up. But, but, I mean, but back on the subject of Kershaw, I think it's it's tough to watch, especially if you are a Dodgers fan. You get to see how brilliant he is on a day-to-day basis. Um, to see him not perform in the postseason is just it's frustrating. It's sad almost and it's you know it's just one of those things though and i'm sure he will have his moment the dodgers have the pieces right now they have the the resources to go out and upgrade those pieces do they do they resign him you think um i think they're working out a reduced deal okay um one that is going to be significantly below market value um and i think kershaw is willing to accept that because okay I think he's in this boat where he wants to prove everyone wrong that he is the pitcher that we think he is. You think so? I, dude, I've been reading papers that say the Yankees are going to make a play for him. Well, but then he'd have to shave, and we can't have that now, can we? Clayton Kershaw <laughs> without a beard would look so weird. I mean, yeah. that's, that's, you know, um, like you were saying, 10 out of 10 people are people, or someone at my company once said that when I first started, one of our HR uh, execs. But, you know, 10 out of 10 people are people, and you got to think that that's part of Kershaw now. No matter mm-hmm. how much they pay him, I don't think he want to play for the Yankees. Fair. Plus, in that little phone booth ballpark, I mean, can you imagine how many teams would roll up there and and hit three hundred and fifteen yard or sorry, three hundred fifteen foot home runs? No, it'd be like uh, yeah. what was his name, Luke Voigt, 
Yeah, Luke uh, Voigt trying to pimp a fly ball to right field. I mean, are you kidding me? <laughs> in the little like, league get, park. Get out of here. Like, I'm yeah, sorry. If you're a Yankees could. fan, you absolutely probably absolutely don't want him. have no right to say anything about anyone ever. <laughs> because of <laughs> where true. you where your team plays, who is on your team, and who, what your team has done historically in the past. And I'm not talking about winning 27 championships. I'm talking about outspending everyone else to win them and winning all your championships when it was literally a one round sure. of the playoffs literally sure. just the world series best in the al best in the nl absolutely you, you no can't i can't claim anything if you're a yankees fan i'm sorry no no you can't you can have your moment on next year maybe the today's yankees. anti-yankee rant brought but, to you by a university but, of georgia mug but on on that same point we got to touch on there is one more person we have to touch on similar to kershaw and that is kenley jansen who is another guy who seems to be marred by his postseason um, you know, miscues. And it's unfortunate to see Owen because this is a guy who, um, you know, I've got the stats here since 2012 has been really a, a really good closer. Um, he's, and I will admit this year was the first year since 2012 that near over three, but he had the issues with the heart. Very serious. God bless him. Hope he gets well. So, you know, Owen, I mean, what are your thoughts on Jansen? Because we could honestly say, I, I hate to say this and be that critical, but, but we, we can sit here and he, is, he has played a major part, just like Kershaw, in the, in the downfall of the Dodgers in the last two World Series. And it's unfortunate, but we, we have to tell it like it is. Well, I think last year's was, was a little different, so I, I, I don't think it's, it's a, uh, I think it's a bit of a disservice to talk about them in the same light. Um, but yeah, no, I do agree that he, he was not as effective as he has been in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, particularly, okay, I want to I do want to talk about one pitch in particular, the Steve Pierce home run in game four. Sure. Um, to pretty much every other hitter in baseball, or most, I'd say most right-handed hitters in baseball, um, that that pitch kind of looks like it's going to hit you and then, then comes back to the inside corner. Sure. Um, that's a hard pitch to hit, especially when you're re- it's being thrown at ninety miles an hour, ninety-two miles an hour. Well, but no, well, because would... because it looks like it, it looks like yeah. it's, gonna, it's a breaking pitch. It looks like sure. it's going to hit you, and then it creeps over the inside part of the plate. The bad news is he didn't start it far enough at Steve yeah. Pierce, yeah. and that's also exactly the pitch Steve Pierce likes to hit. So that in particular, I think, is is a microcosm of his entire season. They're not bad pitches per se. They're just hap- they just happen to be in locations where the hitter tends to like it. And, and it, yeah, yeah. Well, it's one def- of those things sometimes you can't really, you know. But see, it's that's not a the bad thing, pitch. though. You just get beat. When, when you take a team like the Red Sox, and um, that that was, and A Rod was talking about this too. Where, they, and you know, listen, the the cutter is devastating. He was talking about how when you have hitters with the launch angle, if you can get it above the belt. Um, it's a really devastating pitch. But like you said, Owen, um, you know, when you watch Mariano Rivera through the cutter, I mean, his cutter was placed perfectly, you know. He would get right in on the right-handed hitter's um, hands. And, you know, when you're a guy like, A, when you're facing a team like the Red Sox who doesn't have, who puts the ball in play, and, you know, this isn't, I know Kimbrell's not the best example because he was prone to his own lapses, but, you know, because that cutter isn't 100, it's only 92, 93, 94 on a good day. Um, like you said, if you throw it out over the plate, you're going to get punished every single time. 
So, you know, I, I, I don't want to be a hypocrite. I, I don't have a solution on it, but if, I guess if you were the Dodgers front office, would you have stuck with Jansen? Would you have gone into postseason and say, he's my guy, even though throughout the regular season he struggled and he had moments like this? I think so because he was a lot better in the postseason. Um, I think his, yeah. his splits between regular season and postseason, obviously a smaller sample size. We know that. We talk about that ad nauseum. Yeah. But he was much better in the postseason. But, uh, and I think yeah, okay. for a player of, of his caliber, you know that the ability is there and you kind of have to stick with him. Um, I've got his World Series stats right here. So he did have an ERA of 4.5 in the, in yeah. the World Series. But his ERA between the Atlanta series and the Milwaukee series combined six games, six and two-thirds innings. His ERA is zero. Well, you're right. He looked good on, but the matter of fact good. is that in games three and four, particularly four, when the Red Sox and when the Dodgers needed him, he didn't, he didn't pitch well. Right, but and, it, what is is that a more of a case of he didn't pitch well or did he get beaten by a better team? I think a lot I mean, of this is getting lost in the fact that Boston won 108 games this year. You don't win 108 did. games in that division by accident. You don't win that okay. because you're a bad team. But let me ask you this, Owen. Yes, no, no, absolutely. And, like, those Red Sox hitters, I mean, that's one of the best lamps we've ever seen, Owen. But let me ask you this, Owen. So you're Dave Roberts. Kenley Jansen, I believe, in Game 3 pitched two innings. Why do you bring – first of all, I can see you using him in game four, but then why do you bring him – I don't get what his plan was. Why do you bring him in in the eighth inning against the heart of the order for because the Red Sox? The, because the rest of the bullpen is garbage. So who 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 is going to pitch in the ninth inning anyways? Like I don't think he should have pitched there. No, he was always going to pitch in the ninth inning. He was always so going to be that guy. So he was going to pitch another two innings? Yeah. No, okay. Kenley Jansen was always going to be the guy to clean it, to to shut it down for the Dodgers because he's been able to do it in the past. Okay, but this year they they played a team that has a relentless lineup. Every single okay. player on the Boston lineup, one through nine, can punish you. Mm-hmm. Uh, the really the only soft spot is Sandy Leon. <laughs> Hurricane Sandy, the the only active Hall of Famer. Are you kidding me? Sure. <laughs> no, sure, in, all, sure. in all seriousness. I mean, in all even seriousness, Vasquez could hit. In all know? seriousness. Um, I, I think it's more a case that the Red Sox were just head and shoulders a better team. They were. No matter what Dave Roberts did, they always would have gotten beat. Okay. But, and, Owen, let me – but, but, but uh, yes, Owen, the Red Sox are hands down the better team. No doubt. You predicted the Red Sox in five. You're absolutely right. No doubt this team is the better team, and they deserve to win. And they were honestly significantly better than the Dodgers throughout the regular season and throughout the postseason. But, Owen, if the, if the Dodgers win game four or, or game one for that matter, okay, I know that would be a completely different series, but say, you know, listen, before that Nunez home run in game one, the, the Dodgers were coming back. I think it was 5-4, to four and they had momentum. They'd scored runs the previous couple innings. So, oh, and let's just say, hypothetically, the Dodgers go into that series 2-2, two to two, and Kershaw is on the mound at home. I think Kershaw, honestly, I, I honestly was telling this to my friend. I said that I think that the Red Sox would have still won the series, but if the Dodgers had won that game four and won the game five, I think that the Dodgers would have won that game five and made it, and that Boston would have won seven. So I think that 
I, I can't honestly sit here and tell you that this series wouldn't have gone right to the bitter end if the Red Sox had gone to Game 5 with the tied series. And then that's where the relief issues come to play. No, I, I, I definitely accept that, and that's totally valid. But going back to Game 1, you mentioned Alex Wood giving up the home run to Eduardo mm-hmm. Nunez. Mm-hmm. That is an awful pitch to hit. And Nunez yes. hit it harder than any other ball that had been hit in, ty- in the entire postseason. Mm-hmm. Nunez hit a scorcher off a bad pitch. That's not bad pitching. That's good hitting. Sure. Nunez is a notorious bad ball hitter. And what he did was take a bad ball and hit it really, really hard. That's mm-hmm. not Alex Wood's fault. That's not anyone's fault. That's just being beaten. And and a lot of that, I think, is gets gets overshadowed by the fact that Dave Roberts is making this move and that move and this move and that move. How about giving some credit to a guy okay. who had been struggling defensively in and out of the lineup to a kid who looks like he should still be in middle school, Rafael Devers. Okay. Pinch hits in the bottom of the eighth inning or whatever, seventh, seventh or eighth inning of game one and hits a bomb. That's, okay. That's not bad pitching. That's just really good hitting. And you have to just tip your cat at that point. He said, yeah, that's a waste pitch. It, it caught a little bit of the plate, but it's way okay. down. Not many players in baseball are going to hit that one out. Fair point. Oh, and that's a completely fair point. And I, I, like I, I do have to acknowledge if he didn't hit that home run, we wouldn't, you know, we wouldn't think anything of it. But um, here's what I will say on the – I don't know what stats he was looking at. And, again, the post-game show talked about this. All of them talked about this, particularly air I was on this. But, oh, and the numbers just do not at all sync, go in sync with what Dave Roberts um, did in that game. Uh, if you look at his splits against left-handed hitters on the season, Owen, do you know what left-handers hit against Pedro Baez? So, presuming we're talking about if he still is in the game, Eduardo Nunez won't pitch hit and Rafa Devers is hitting. Just four. But do you know what he's hitting? Left-handed hitters hit against them in the regular season. It was uh, it was pretty low, wasn't it? Yeah, on one sixty-four. Do you know what he his ERA his ERA was in in the last couple months of the season? It was better. I know that much. <laughs> in August and September, on in the month of August, um, players hit one thirty-six against them. In the month of September, players hit. 176 against him and overall in the postseason um he you know this wasn't the old Pedro Baez of old where he couldn't trust him all the time so I mean that's a situation Owen where I think we do have a right like with Rich Hill we can criticize him or not but that's tougher I honestly think the Pedro Baez situation we have every right to criticize him because the the numbers simply just don't favor taking him out of the game Particularly because he's pitching well in the game. Okay, but let's bring in some baseball wisdom with bringing in a reliever for more than one inning, and he's not built. He's not your closer. He's not built for that. He's not a shutdown guy. He's well, not. He's, he not, pitched, he's not historically he's two a shutdown of an guy. Inning. They took. They yanked him after two thirds of an inning. They didn't let him finish the inning. It's one of those things where we'll never know, I guess, because. Yes, he might have been effective, but maybe they didn't like the matchup between him and Devers. Sure, it's, it's one of those no, things. It's you you have the splits in the analytics, which are, which are fantastic, sure. but you also are playing a baseball game with but, human but beings. You, yeah, you have to balance the two. But if you have, that's one of those things, though. 
if you have the numbers and the guys pitching well and he only pitched two thirds of an inning, is his game one like I I I just don't see. Um, oh, and he hadn't give up. He hadn't given up a postseason run the whole postseason. What? Right, but it's your also, best it's, pitch it's from also the a one way street. It's not just how is he doing. It's how is the guy at the plate doing. You have to take both things into consideration. Yeah. And it was a roll of the dice, and it apparently it, it just didn't work out. It's just one of those things that happens. Right. And we talk about this almost every single time with with managers in sports. If the, if he makes a change that works well, he's a genius. If he doesn't, he's an idiot. But I don't think Dave Roberts is inherently making bad decisions. No. He's just not being rewarded for making risky decisions. And that's the, just – sometimes it's just unlucky. Yeah, right. I, I just think that was the case. That, you're right. It, it, was, it was definitely unlucky, but I think it was also overmanaging. You know what I mean? Yeah, um, and, and that's fair. But also we don't know what he's getting in his ear from the, man, from the front office. Sure. No, no, there's definitely – that because could definitely I, be I don't role. think there's another team in baseball that's more kind of built for analytics than the Dodgers. Okay. Than the two guys in their front office who are and, brilliant minds. But they're very, they're very analytics heavy. And you, and you know, and you know what? You brought up a really interesting point. These same guys, in the, um, I one of the most interesting things that they were talking about in the post game, and when they they're talking about the the contrast of the two front office. And A Rod was saying he hadn't talked to the players, but he didn't like all the the shifting, and he thinks that the front office may be influencing things. However. Alex Cora, um, they were talking about. They had talked to Alex Cora, and they subsequently had Dave Dombrowski on the postgame interview. And Alex Cora, um, they they said Alex Cora said that one of the bet Dave Dombrowski was great because he gives him all the information, but he never once told him he never once told him what to do with the lineups or the staff. Like he never once said you got to do this, you know. And that and that's a tribute to because you're right. Like if if Roberts is Getting is going to get killed for um, for for these decisions. Like we can argue how much you should or not. I mean, it's reasonable to say that maybe the front office had some influence on it. You know? No, oh, I, I it, think the Dodgers totally are are putting uh, decisions in Dave Roberts' head before he gets to make them. Um, yeah, because it's it's. I think it's almost rare that. Neither Farhan Zaidi nor Andrew Friedman have kind of the conventional baseball wisdom. They didn't really start out as scouts. Uh, they're more sure. on the analytics side. At least that's, yeah. that's my understanding of, of the two of them. Um, sure. Now, I'm not saying that's a bad thing because they were both, um, uh, at least with Andrew Friedman, he was part of that really successful Rays front office in 2008 that took a team that was the laughing stock of the baseball world. I mean, they're still kind of laughable, let's be honest, mm-hmm. it's the Rays. Um, and took them to the World Series, which sure, I never sure, thought sure. was possible. I mean, they brought up David Price for for crying out loud. David Price, Chris Archer. Um, it, it, you know, they've they brought up a lot of really two of the players. best young pitchers, yeah, exactly. And ultimately, neither one of those teams got the job done. Is that a testament sure. to the front office telling the manage the management what to do? I don't know. No, but 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 you know, in that interview, uh, Dave Dombrowski talked about how. What he's learned from being around the great managers like uh, Tony Larusa and some of the other managers in his past was that these guys, you know, Jim Leland, uh, th- these guys were, you know, great managers for a reason. These guys have a feel. They have, they can see, you know, 
um, how well the hitter's seeing the ball or how well they think the pitcher's stuff is for that game. And that's why you got to trust them. And, you know, that that is something to be said because if Dave Roberts isn't allowed to put his foot on the game, that's unfair because he's not able to do his job if he's not going to be able to base make judgments based on feel and, and he just has to do whatever the numbers say. You know, that that's just not, not fair. So I don't know how that dynamic is. We don't have any I source. I also just fact-checked myself really quickly. Um, and Andrew Friedman does have a bit of a baseball background. He did play at Tulane okay. for a year uh, okay. before basically okay. a career-ending injury. Sure. So respect to, to Andrew Friedman, who's a better ball player than I was. So, sure. Um, but about- I, I think at the end of the day, this is ultimately an organization, the Dodgers, that that's driven by analytics, and it's kind of live by the sword, die by the sword. And... At the end of the day, like we've talked about, this is a sport played by humans, and it ultimately, you know, the chickens will come home, as they say. Or sure. Whatever the saying is. No, I, no, I, absolutely, on. But uh, so, in closing, on, uh, you know, where does this Red Sox team rank amongst the all-time best Red Sox teams, baseball teams, for that matter? What, what are your what are your takes on that? In terms of just the pure on field just brilliance it's up there um, okay but if, if we're talking a cumulative measure looking at the best red Sox teams of all time no one and and i mean no one is ever going to top 2004 um simply because they did something that was that was unexpected by I will say 99% of everyone who follows baseball or everyone who knows baseball and was watching at the time. Right. To not only be the first team to come back, first and only team to come back from a 3 nothing deficit mm-hmm. in a seven-game series, but to do it in the way they did with the players they did it against the Yankees the of all teams, <laughs> the, million, the, the big spending New York Yankees, to did it the way they did uh, – that will always be kind of okay. the greatest Red Sox team of all time. So no I agree on that. I mean, listen, I mean, being a baseball fan like I've been for a while too, I mean, that was a great team. And, and I guess, you know, based on heart, what they did obviously coming back from 3-0 um, and the gritty players they had on that team, um, I mean, there's no doubt that that team is special place history, but – do you think who who do you think if those if this team and that team played each other who would win? Oh, this team. Okay, this team. So no question. I, I think that, now the one caveat is that team I think has better had better starting pitching. Sure. At least uh, top to bottom. Um, with Evaldi pitching and, like he did with. Yeah, I think so. I okay. think so. Um, but even even so, it's. <laughs> It's one of those things that people people always forget that the 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 2004 Red Sox weren't a bad team. They still won. No, they they were really good. They, they were really won good. Team. Upwards of 90 games. That's mm-hmm. that's not a bad team by any no, stretch. No. I think they I think that team won about 96 games if my memory serves correctly. Um something I mean, it wasn't it wasn't a bad team. The Yankees just happened to win more. And they they Sure. Yeah, 98 games. But they I mean, won 98 games that year. That is not a bad team by any stretch. I mean, oh, and this team was just but, so but, okay. dominant. Let's also let's also remember that this current Red Sox team 
is the highest spending team in baseball. Now, yeah. I, I use this in, my def- in, in defense of the team spending. Two of those players that are counting towards the payroll have contracts upwards of $80 million, or I think 75. Is that one's Martinez? 75, one's 80. Neither one of those players are currently with the team. Pablo oh. Sandoval and Hanley Ramirez. That <laughs> they're still getting paid. They are still counting <laughs> no against way. the payroll. So wow. if you take those out of the equation, okay. the Red Sox have a lower payroll than mm-hmm. I think the uh, than five of I think the other five top five teams. Mm-hmm. They have a lower payroll and it's it's substantial. Okay. So that's the one defense. Fair. On the other hand, five years, one hundred ten million dollars for JD Martinez. Seven years, two hundred seventeen million dollars for David Price. Uh, four years, $21 million for Rick Porcello, and Lord knows what Chris Sale is going to get in the open market. So, sure. That said, the Red Sox do spend a lot of money, but, you know, they got the World Series win. What do oh, I care? Now, I just want to say, like, um, I did see, see this, the Red Sox, 2004 Red Sox. I mean, for they... The World Series was a sweep. Was it a sweep? In what year? Two thousand four. Mm-hmm. Yes, it was a sweep against the Cardinals. Yeah, the Cardinals. And I, I did see that they beat Anaheim three zero. But oh, I mean, the Yankees are no slouch by any means. Obviously, winning over a hundred games and and all the talent they have. But um, oh, and I mean, if you just look at the stats. Oh no, the, the stats, no, Houston it's, it's, Astros. And, and also, close. the Houston Astros were one of the best, I think, teams of all time. And they had actually a better run differential than the regular season. They had a better run differential in the Red Sox in the regular season. They won 105 games. They had number one bullpen ERA. They had five good starters. They had a very good – I mean, I don't think it's far-fetched to say that the Astros on paper were one of the best teams ever this year. And they beat them in five games and won three games on the road. That is incredible. Absolutely incredible. Yeah, no, no, no. I, I don't. I'm not saying this team is is. I mean that yeah is less dominant by any stretch. Mm-hmm. This is a dominant Red Sox team we're talking about, and they performed every bit like a 108 win team. Yeah. What I am saying is that all things considered, in that context, with the opposition and the roster and everything going against the Red Sox in 04. There will never be a better team, better than that, than those Red Sox. In the, in the eyes, of, in terms, of, in the hearts, in the no, hearts. No, no, in the, I don't know. That team was pretty good too. Yeah. Okay. That I, I, I just don't see anything. How I just don't. I didn't see anything about. Oh. Um, would, would it change your mind if Manny Ramirez and David Ortiz combined for about a hundred home runs that year? Because that was about the number. I believe Manny hit 46 that year and Poppy hit like 54. It was they hit a lot of home runs those two. Yeah, they did. They did. Uh who who was I mean so it was, they had Poppy Pedroia. Pop, no, Pedroia was um he was still in the minor. I, no. I don't think he was still in college at that point. Mankiewicz, Kapler, uh, Mankiewicz, Millar, Ellsbury. Miller. I mean these are guys that no one's ever heard of outside of Boston. Uh Bill Miller, Doug, uh, Doug Mankiewicz, Miller. Kevin Millar, Orlando Kevin Millar. Cabrera. Maybe a couple was, people heard of him. Was, uh, Damon, Veritek. Da- oh, Damon Veritek. Damon Veritek. Veritek, Miller, and then on the mound you had Pedro, Schill. Was Ellsbury uh, on the team or no? No, Ellsbury. not Ellsbury. He was he and Pedro are both rookies in 07. Okay. Um, and Lester, they had Lester. 
Uh, no, Lester was also oh. 2007. All right. Um, who are uh, Folk? I remember Keith Folk. Keith Folk. <laughs> uh, Mike Timlin. Timlin. Uh, Alan Embry. Oh, God. Embry. Oh, my God. I forgot about Embry. Um, who was Pedro? Pedro. Pedro. Um, God. So, you know, it's it's – that team was no slouch. 43 home runs for uh, Manny that year in, in 04. Let's see what Big Poppy – I believe Poppy hit in the 50s that year. It was crazy. 50 uh, – no, I'm sorry, 41. He hit 54 in 2006. Wow. Uh, but still, 80, 85 – well, I can't count. 84 home runs combined between two players. Um, that's that's pretty incredible. All right, so who had a better season, Big Poppy that year or Martinez this year? Well, Martinez had for a higher average, and you know you can't really can't really ignore that sure. if you're looking at all the hitting metrics because OPSs were I'm sure comparable, um, mm-hmm. but yeah, on with base, Martinez hitting for a higher average, I think you have to sure, give him the sure. edge. Sure, um, but at the same time, Martinez was not. I mean, you can. It, it's hard to 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 compare the two if you remove the postseason. Because there's not that clutch factor, but the Boston team in 04 just had that clutch factor. You put you pin them back against the wall, and they're going to produce. Poppy with the bloops, the walk off homer in Game Four, the bloop single in yeah. Game Five. Um, Martinez never really had a, a kind of big hit when he needed. I mean, he had the the home run in Game One that really set the table. Oh, yeah, sorry, was, I think he no, had a, he had some stuff the, uh, in Game Game One and Game Two as well. That was the but, AL, I mean, but this AL, but this yes. team, I mean, they were just it was a different guy. I mean, it was. It was a different you know, guy every those day. Guys, it was. It could have been ben Steve Pierce. Yeah, ben Attendee's catch. Attendee's. Jackie Bradley Jr.'s grand slam against Houston. Steve Pierce's three-run right. double against Maeda. That's his defensive Mookie play. Betts in, against in, the Astros. Mookie Betts stealing a base and then scoring a run in the Nick first inning. Game one. Christian Vasquez. Vasquez every, with a little dinger against New York. Yep. Uh, a little knock here and there. Avaldi seven innings out of the bullpen. Uh, which Price. is nuts. David Price doing his thing. All, all of so there was Brock, a lot of, of Brock Holt. Brock Holt. Brock Holt hitting for the cycle, the first cycle in playoff history. Yeah, and um, and he he I mean he was the catalyst in uh in some of the middle games in this series. Right, and ben, he was he was the catalyst in Game Four. He was yep. the guy who got on base and started the whole rally. Yeah, God, he's a jammed a double down the line, kind of an unsung yeah. hero for the Sox. But you know, mm-hmm. it's been kind of like that the whole season. Um, just, just a lot of really t- good, timely baseball. And I mean, it, to. It, yeah. I, I gotta say, I mean, credit, get, get a little credit uh, in this case to Dave Dombrowski for getting Pierce and Evaldi, um, guys that ended up really helping them in the postseason. You know, who would have thought that? Um, who and Ian Kinsler had his moments, but he he didn't overall. I, I would say didn't have a great postseason numbers wise. But no, I, well, numbers wise, no. But I think he had a good series against New York. Um, he yeah, had a couple times okay. hits here and there. Sure, so. and he did. And I think even in game one or two of the series, uh, he had an RBI. I think. I think it was game one. Game one. Okay, but I mean, no. But statistically, he didn't have a great series, and he obviously had to play in in game three. That kind of but, <laughs> let the Dodgers tie it up. Which, sure, you know, right. Unfortunate. Anyways, it, it's it's but, neither here. But nor who would have thought that two guys you picked up at the deadline? He didn't quite know. When you get from them, Pierce would be World Series MVP. It really mainstay in the middle of the lineup throughout the season. And Evaldi, throughout the end, throughout the the parts of the season which they got him pitched well, and then you know was your best pitcher in the postseason. 
uh, and starter. So yeah. that I mean, that's incredible. I mean, those are three guys that Dombrowski essentially kind of took a flyer on, and it mm-hmm. paid off huge. Yep. And that's just one of those things in baseball where you again, you never really know. You just kind of have to let it happen, and then what you get is what you get's what you get. And sure. What we have is World Series MVP Steve Pierce, aka Piss Missile Pierce. Yeah. That's all there is to it. Sure. And on on the other hand, you know, you look at yes, yeah, Missile Pierce. You look at um, the guys that the Dodgers get, and they they didn't produce um, as much. You look at a guy like Brian Dozier. David Freese had a, a decent series, although he didn't end up playing all that much. Brian Dozier didn't have a great series. Um, probably. Uh, the moves, I guess, didn't didn't work out as intended. I guess no. I think the Dodgers Ryan Ma- Ryan Madsen pitched well in the early part of the postseason, but didn't have a good series against the Red Sox. So the Dodgers have made a lot of big name moves in the last few years, but they just really haven't paid off. Um, a couple years ago, it was Josh Reddick and Rich Hill at the deadline. Last year, um, the big acquisition was someone who's escaping me. Uh, oh, who, who? They picked up someone. Here. This is this is really bad to forget on the show, but last year, okay. But uh, then obviously you Darvish. this year, Machado, you Darvish, you Darvish. That's right, Darvish. Duh, who could forget you mm-hmm. Darvish and his brilliant performance in Game Seven last year for the Dodgers? That I think was a, a bit of a a skewy bit of management having having them skew that up. Yeah, that was just yeah, that was really tough. Um, so. But, yeah, that was just a great series. And um, I guess, do you have any, you know, last thoughts about the series? Just both the this year. And the final thought, but I want to hear what you um, Well, I guess my, my big thought is the Dodgers did what they could with the hand they were dealt. They mm-hmm. did not have a great hand playing against a team like the Red Sox. Um, and I think that was probably the most they could have gotten out of it. Um, I don't think it was ever going to be a close series. I don't think it was ever going to be, you know, within striking distance of a team as good as the Red Sox, as mm-hmm. complete a team as the Red Sox, and as hot a team as they Because the Red Sox, let's be honest, they were not, you know, winners of – 22 out of 23 like Colorado in 2007. They weren't marching their way to the wild card game like the Oakland A's were this year. They they weren't by any means steamrolling anyone. No. But they they got what they needed to out of the players when they needed it and that yep. ultimately carried them to hoisting the commissioner's trophy and which is what it's all about. And apologies for the uh, technical difficulties there folks. We'll work on getting that fixed up. Um, but we were talking about just final thoughts before getting into, um, I guess, the the end of our show, kind of previewing the um, Premier League uh, weekend got coming up, which is actually the reason I'm going mm-hmm. out of town this weekend, going up to the Bay Area <laughs> to see my brother and Nick and Brian, uh, frequent contributors on our show as we talk shop, uh, talking soccer. Um, final thoughts, Are you going to see them all? That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, uh, I hope they're all around. That'd be nice. That's awesome. Um, if not just my brother and, and pro- probably yeah. just Nick. Oh, my main my main final thought, and this is a sad one, is just every year on. Listen, baseball is great, and this was a great year in particular, particularly because 
there's a lot of tight division races and it gave a lot of storylines on the, the day-to-day basis of the 162-game grind. But, oh, and honestly, games three and four are going to live on it. And to me, postseason baseball and specifically the World Series is one of the greatest sporting events there is. And honestly, I just got really emotional watching it and I just loved it. And um, it was just a reminder to me of how great um, baseball is and, and how dramatic the postseason is and um, my takeaway is just that it was just a really great year of baseball. That was my takeaway. Yeah, no, I, I think it was also a really good place with baseball as well. Um, I think the playoffs outside of the World Series were great. I think the World Series let down a little bit. Um, it, it, it definitely had lower ratings than the last year's World Series and it yeah. had fewer total viewers. But I think at the end of the day, um, it, it was kind of the, – the ALCS kind of felt like the – like the World Series to begin with, mm-hmm. um, you know the two sure. best teams in baseball based on record going at it sure. head to head. Um, I think that was kind of a lot for a lot of people that what the World Series was, especially a lot of American League. Games. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and you know, it's not to say that the World Series was a bad series. I think we just kind of knew that one sure. side was much more stacked than the other, and and it was kind yeah. of a question of if if the pretty significant underdogs were gonna were gonna make a charge at it. But I just, I just, Lone, I just love the the drama and the and the chess matches and all the series between the managers and you know and for example, as 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 much as I love basketball and as much as I like football, you know, it's it's not like those sports where you know in the postseason uh, a a superstar in, in basketball in in the NBA or in college basketball can really take over a game or. A quarterback in, in football in the playoffs can, or in baseball, it's a chess match, and every single person on the team has to do their part, you know. And it's you know, it's it's how can everyone mesh together to be a team, you know. And and that Dodgers Milwaukee series, for example, really epitomized that. And the the Boston Houston and the Boston Yankees series were just two heavyweight teams like throwing each other at each other, and two just one great rivalry and two just heavyweight matchups it was just great it just reminds me why baseball is really great and in a time where people are going to criticize the sport and that is another discussion but you know it was just a time to remember why people why people enjoy it no I'm, I'm with you there man that's exactly the reason i'm a baseball fan is to watch playoff mm-hmm. baseball i mean i'm like a kid at a candy store i'm emotionally unavailable mm-hmm. during during playoff season sure. you know that i mean pretty yeah. much everyone i know knows that um, you know, it's, it's, it's a great time of year. And as we say goodbye to this year's baseball season, um, it should be another hectic off season. There's a list of a lot of big name free agents. Um, obviously Manny Machado and Bryce yep. Harper are the big two. Absolutely. Um, but we'll, honestly, we'll see what happens. It, it could shape out, yep. it could shape out to be a, either a great, uh, great off season or a really slow one. And, and no one gets paid until, until, you know, March 30th. Yeah. Uh, halfway or the beginning of the season's already started by then yeah no absolutely and actually i got i do have a little hot take part about the free agent class oh boy. so i guess i'll save that to yeah, uh we'll, we'll get to those in a little bit yep um yeah but um you know another great year of baseball and as we say goodbye turn the page we'll um we'll keep checking in on baseball every now and again but i think from from this point until spring training or at least until um mm-hmm. the beginning of the season we'll really tone back the amount we talk about baseball if there's big news uh, throughout the week, we'll be sure to talk about it here on the show. But 
Uh, for now, thank you, baseball, for another great season, and we will see you in 2019. Uh, but first, uh, the off season has just begun, and a lot of news yet to cover. Yeah, um, no, absolutely. Over across the pond, we haven't really talked about this in a while. Sank our teeth into this, but we got a lot of football this weekend. Got a lot of good matchups. Um, again, we talked about this, namely the reason I'm going up to the Bay Area: Arsenal, Liverpool from the Emirates at 10:30 Pacific time, 1:30 Eastern. Uh, I am beyond hype for this game. It should be a really mm-hmm. good one. Um, Arsenal Absolutely. unbeaten in their last 13. Liverpool coming off a 4-1 win against Cardiff at home. Uh, should be really good. Front three are scoring goals again. Mane had two at the weekend. Salah with one and two assists. Uh, Shakiri on the, on the score sheet for the first time in a Liverpool shirt. So, lots to look forward to. And the funny thing is, Arsenal's play, Arsenal has three uh, former Klopp signings from yeah. Dortmund. In Socrates, Pastathopoulos, um, Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, and Henrik Mkhitaryan all played for Klopp in 2014, his last season in charge at Dortmund. Um, we've also got Wolves, the kind of upstart Wolves mm-hmm. hosting Spurs, who uh, a little uh, yeah. a little uneasy about Spurs <laughs> if I were if yep. I were a Spurs fan, but thank sure. you, I'm not. Um, so that should be an interesting game to watch as well. Mm-hmm. It's the late game on on Saturday, three forty five Eastern, twelve forty five Pacific. Um, the early game, another good one. Bournemouth hosting mid table Man United. That sounds yeah. so sweet to say, <laughs> mid table Man United. Uh, it's just it's just fitting for them. Yeah, uh, absolutely. A couple other ones to watch out for. Maybe Newcastle and Watford. Newcastle really need a result. They are they are struggling at the bottom. Yes, of the they are. They they need something. They need life. They need to win. They need to win. They need to get tired. They, they need a point. One at a time <laughs> will do. Honestly, at this point in the season. Uh, and then a little later on, we've got uh, the champions, Man City, hosting Southampton at the Etihad on Sunday morning. Uh, so a lot of good games there. Which one are you kind of highlighting? I mean, we've talked a lot about Liverpool Arsenal, but uh, is that kind of the one you're paying attention to the most? Well, I'll give you two answers on the first one, the one you expect, and the second one, one you would not expect. Uh, I, um, obviously, all right. The one that I am looking to for the most as a as a casual fan, I mean, of the heavyweights would be the Arsenal Liverpool matchup. That's going to be a great matchup against a team that. Has huge title aspirations like Liverpool. We're trying to figure out how if they can sustain this push against a team like Arsenal that seems to be a new team. But actually, the match on that I'm looking forward to the um, the most, uh, believe it or not, is a uh, Huddlesfield and Fulham. Really? Because I think okay now yes like that maybe not be well, the best game to watch. No, but, I'm I'm intrigued. Go on, go on, son. Well, we're looking at at two teams. Um, Huddlesfield, their team, like you just mentioned, Newcastle or Cardiff, um, Southampton, their team that really needs some results right now to start going their way. Versus a team like Fulham that um, spent so much money um, on players, but they're, they can score goals, but they, they really just can't defend at all. They're, they're a very fun team to watch, but... Um, the clock. I, I'm starting to wonder if they're gonna they're gonna need a manager change because, or if they're gonna need to do something there. So so as a as a Premier League fan specifically, that that's the game I, I'm really keeping an eye on. To be honest. No, and that's not a big pick. That's not a bad pick either. I mean, it is the Monday night game, so I'm sure Gary Neville yep. and and uh, uh, yeah, Jamie Carragher will have some uh, interesting discussions about that one. Yeah. <laughs> on their their Monday night football show. 
What, what, what about you, on? What, what are you looking forward uh, to? I'm looking at Wolves Spurs because okay. Spurs, I mean, they, they, they're struggling a little bit. Um, sure. Obviously, they got a result in midweek to advance in the EFL Cup, the uh, Carabao Cup, I believe it's called, or maybe just the EFL Cup. But against a team that has caused some of the big boys' problems. They have. They have. Uh, I don't think they can really they can really sleep on Wolves. They have to come to the Molino to Molino with their their best stuff. Their best players have to step up. Harry Kane's got to play a lot better. Harry yep. Kane, I tell you, if he didn't, if he wasn't Harry Kane, if he wasn't English, he would be getting the same kind of flack that Mo Salah is <laughs> getting in the media for not scoring as many goals. I'm telling you, it's it's that bias towards English players. Uh, Harry Kane's sure. not playing well. Deli Alli's not really playing well for Spurs. Sure. And they're not really getting slated like Mo Salah is. Oh, he's a one-season wonder. He's not good enough. It's, calm down. He didn't he didn't catch form until kind of midway through the season. Let's let's pump the brakes a little bit on Mo Salah and the criticisms. He had a long a long summer and uh, got yeah, hurt well, in I mean, a game he really shouldn't have gotten hurt in thanks to MMA fighter Sergio Ramos. But, you know, that's neither here nor there. Right, right. Well, I guess, though, you know, the difference is that Harry Kane's been consistently been able to perform and – I mean, Salah, I guess he had such a great year last year. And, yeah, he's caught a little form recently, but we're going to have to see a little bit more to say he's really back, quote-unquote, you know? Yeah. No, I, I, I get that too. But I just had to throw that out there because – No, you know. I, I get that. But um, this – yeah, no. Um, this is going to be a huge game. I think Wolves maybe have come um, a little bit more back down to earth recently and so have Spurs, but – Honest, I got to be honest with you, Owen. I have this um, a because I think Wolves, having lost to Brighton, maybe are going to come out a little bit um, fired up more. Maybe just kind of wake up call. Owen, I, I'm starting to honestly. If you ask me right now, this very moment, and yes, I could flip flop, but I don't think Spurs finish top four. See, I think my top four is. I can't decide who's going to win. Liverpool, City, Chelsea, and Arsenal. Those are my four teams. See, I... I want to trust them, but I, I don't know. On I that. can't disagree. And that's not just because I don't like them. I actually can't disagree because they of the top six right now, they of the big six, sorry, not the top six, of the yeah. big six right now, they are the least uh, convincing. They haven't shown this kind of... We'll put it this way: they haven't been they haven't been as good as Arsenal, Man City, Liverpool, and uh, Chelsea. Three right. of those teams are unbeaten. One of them has hasn't lost in thirteen matches in all competitions. Yeah, they haven't they haven't looked as good. It's a long season; we're not even a third of the way through. But I will say they have not looked as convincing as some of the other big boys, and that's you know. Yeah. I, um, I'm not saying panic like you are like they should be at, at Man United because oh boy I'd be panicking if I was a, a, a Red Devil supporter right now I'd be panicking big time. Um, we haven't really talked about that in a while, but I don't think we need to. Just that they're, 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 panic if you're a Man United fan, just panic right now. Just panic. Your team's your team's in the in the gutter. Just panic. It's fine. Oh, and the <laughs> I just have this. Uh, <laughs> I just have this. <laughs> okay, fair. I just have this, um, this this feeling on, and people are talking about this. I just had this feeling that Man United's gonna rebound a little bit here. 
I, I think that they, they had a really good display against Everton. Um, I just think in terms of the like in terms of it's not going to be like they're going to be able to rebound to get to the top four, but I do think Mourinho is going to last. I, I've decided I think he's going to last the season. I think that he's going to in the next handful of games he's going to. I could be wrong. Put that that part of it to bed. I, I think Manu's going to catch a little bit of form here, but we'll see. I could be wrong. I'm more worried about Tottenham Owen because I think that they've plateaued. I honestly think that um, they've reached their ceiling. And, you know, you could say that they haven't – they've started the season better than they have in years past, and they haven't played particularly well. But, um, you know, with, with the same manager, without the, the, the rejuvenation in the squad and just the way the performances have been recently with combined with the fatigue of the World Cup, perhaps, um, even if guys like uh, – even if Deli Ali is going to come back and, and Lamella is playing a little better, I just don't know if, if they really – have much on in the tank. I, I think we, I think they plateaued. Uh, what I will say is this: the one I don't, I'll, I'll throw, I'll throw Tottenham fans who listen to our show. I don't know if there's any, but if you are a Tottenham fan and listen to the show, I'll throw you a bone. Uh, this time last year, Liverpool were beaten by Tottenham four-one at Wembley, after on the heels of a five-nil loss in September to Manchester City. Mm-hmm. Liverpool went on a run in the Champions League that year that was. Unheard of. Yep. They won in a, the their form in the in the league was good enough to stay in the top four, kind of fluctuate in and out of the top four, and then eventually, thankfully, stay in the top four. But the arrival of one Virgil Van Dyke changed everything. Yeah. Now i I wouldn't be I wouldn't be me if I didn't throw a bone and then immediately take it away. Um, Tottenham not only have a new stadium to finance, but they also are not coached yeah. by a one Jurgen Klopp. Yeah. Jurgen yeah, Klopp sure. is a better manager than Pochettino. You heard it here first because Jurgen Klopp won trophies in Germany against Bayern Munich. Yeah, he 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 might be the best manager that is, that's in the game. He, he might I'd say he's the best at doing the most with limited resources. We'll see okay. what he can do now that the board has finally decided to give him money to spend in the form of Alisson and Naby Keita and Fabinho, who's finally getting playtime. I told you he's getting playtime. He's going to be one of the hardest names to knock off the team sheet. I'm telling you. Yeah, he, this he, happened. This happened with Oxley Chamberlain last year, and it happened with Andy Robertson last year. Once they got in the team, they were one of the first names on the team sheet every single sure. game. And it's nice to see Klopp. You know, I, I don't know. I mean, do you think he was good? He kind of brought him along slowly. You know, didn't throw him That's right exactly in there. Exactly the way Klopp does it. He doesn't. He's not going to throw you in right away. He's going to kind of ease. I mean, unless you're Nabi Keita, and Klopp kind of knows what you're all about. But mm-hmm. for the most, and, and Nabi Keita fits perfectly for Liverpool's style. Just his his. His blend, his game is just perfect for Liverpool. But for the most part, guys are not going to be on the team sheet straight away. Some guys take some time to adapt. But once they finally hit that point where they're ready to play week in and week out, they're in week in and week out. Robertson was there last year. Oxley chamberlain was there last year. And I'm telling you right now, on November 1st, 2018, Fabinho is now one of the hardest names to knock off on the Liverpool team sheet. I will be shocked if he doesn't start on Saturday. Absolutely shocked. Okay. In the two games he started, the last two games he started against Red Star Belgrade and against Cardiff, he was immense. Even when Henderson gets back from injury? Even when Henderson gets back. Henderson's a lot. Like, let's let's not forget my position on Henderson. He's a liability with the ball at his feet. He's a tremendous, tremendous athlete, works really hard off the ball, but with the ball at his feet, he is a liability. 
Okay. Wow. Fabinho is miles better with the ball at his feet. Miles better. Okay. Yeah, no, that that's um So that is that is my take on Jordan Henderson. It is not new, it is not hot, it is a freezing take that I've repeated over so and over who, again. Who's this a bigger game for? Owen, is it a bigger game for Arsenal or is it a bigger game for Liverpool? I'd say Liverpool right now. Because they know Man City are the champions. They haven't lost yet, either of Chelsea. And so if they were to drop points or if they were to lose their first game of the season here, uh, I think it'd be it wouldn't be the end of the world, but I think it'd be it'd go a long way if they got it three points at the Emirates to keep in their momentum for at least the next few weeks. Now, they're going to lose a game eventually. No team in this league is ever going to go undefeated. Although Man City, so far this season, look, they look pretty convincing. They've only conceded three. I mean, everyone talks about Liverpool's defensive record this season. Man City have conceded one less, which sure. to me is just, uh, that just angers me a little bit, quite frankly. Uh, hashtag sarcasm. Wow. But, well. <laughs> <laughs> but it's just one of those things where I'm, I'm kind of looking over my shoulder a little bit at Man City. Like, they haven't, they haven't conceded as many goals as we have. So yeah. I'm a little I'm a little not easy about that. I'm well, I mean I mean, oh, if we can just talk about the um I think that one of the things that's most telling is that I mean, both managers really seem to have I mean, these are two of the best managers in 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 the game and maybe perhaps Jurgen Klopp is the best seemingly in my opinion, but um I mean, if we can just use that, uh, th- that th- those two teams playing, Man City-Liverpool, as an example. I mean, both, you know, um, in, in Champions League when Man City lost to Liverpool and Liverpool had, had struggled to get that balance and both teams were more pragmatic. So I just think on, on, on your point, you know, both teams have really wrote the ship defensively and aren't afraid to just see out a game and, and really be strong defensively, you know? That that's a it's a really cool thing to see, honestly. And Klopp has been talking about that with Liverpool almost extensively, every mm-hmm. single every single game. He's been saying, "Yeah, we realize over the course of a season, it's it's a little bit of maturity and, and realizing you don't need to always attack, attack, attack. Sometimes it's fine to just sit back and and see out a result." Sure. No, absolutely. On oh, um, that's a, that's a huge thing, but and. Yep. Sorry, go ahead. Well, I, I just think that um, this game is going to, from that perspective, this game uh, is going to uh, tell Liverpool a lot. A, because um, this is a game against a Arsenal team who is a very high-powered offensive team. We always know they have no problem putting goals in the back of the net. And, you know, the same thing uh, in the sense of, of their maturity. Maybe they'll, they'll have to see out a game. Uh, against Man City, against Chelsea, they they drew both games. Um, haven't didn't play their best in, in either game. They were but they were okay results. So maybe this is kind of the game where we look at them and, and we're really impressed by them. You know, against the big side. You know, they beat Tottenham, but then again, Tottenham against the big side struggle. So um, may, maybe this is a game where we learn a lot from them on, on that end. Yeah. I want to touch on two points quickly before we get to our hot take segment. Um, okay. The first of which is, I think I just dropped. I I just lost my point. Oh. <laughs> I think I just lost a point. Oh, okay. Uh, you one think of, it, buddy. One of them. Um, it was. Uh, oh, sorry. No, I got it. How good has Joe Gomez been for Liverpool this year? Oh, he's yeah. been unbelievable. 
Uh, right there with Virgil Van Dyke uh, at this heart of Liverpool's defense. Yeah. Uh, he's he's very rarely put a foot wrong, and when he has, it's been when he played as a fullback. Um, he has the athletic ability to make up for mistakes that he occasionally makes. Um, they're not major mistakes either; they're just minor positioning mistakes where he tries to be a little overzealous and try to win the ball, whereas you know staying goal side and being pessimistic is really what he should be doing the whole time. Um, and you know, I think all things good for someone who's 22 years old. I think he is. He's been mm-hmm. phenomenal. He's been absolutely incredible for for Liverpool. And uh, you know, I think the the rumblings around the club are that he's going to be offered a new contract extension, which I think would be a really good piece of business to keep him and Virgil long term. Um, so I think that's that's exciting for Liverpool fans. As he, well, he, so. Yeah, you know, he he's a he's a young guy. Um, really, like you said, very good. Really pacey. He, I mean, he's been. Incredible, um, like you said, this season alongside, um, you know, I mean, Alexander Arnold's another impressive young player there, too. Yeah, you know, there Both actually of- are quite a few signings from the Brendan Rodgers era still at the club. Technically, James Milner is a Brendan Rodgers signing, Alberto Moreno is a Brendan Rodgers signing, Dan Lovren, Joe Gomez. Wow. Um, okay. His, his, I mean, Brendan, Brendan Rodgers did not sign bad players. He just didn't get the most out of them. Klopp has gotten the most out of every single one of those players, except for Moreno. I think Moreno is. I think it's time for him to leave. Uh, <laughs> he he played at the weekend. He was you know he was good, but Cardiff sure. didn't offer anything offensively. I think it gets a better side with a better sure. attacking players. But he, he's Moreno not a bad struggles. player to have in a well. Okay, I guess. I you mean, can't, I guess but, when when Robertson can't play, you know, sixty five games a year. Sure. So, but I mean, I guess the the squad depth is crucial. You yeah, know what and I mean? Liverpool finally have a deep squad this year. They haven't really been able to build they've had to build a quality yeah. squad then now they've been able to build a deep squad so this is this is kind of the year we learn about can this liverpool team win a title or can yeah. liverpool win a title under Klopp? i, I know mean, actually, i hope they can but i think he's because i think he's the best thing to happen in the club in years um and that's even counting the year they won the champions league well no yeah i'd, I'd say that that's probably the last time with benitez and torres and alonso and gerard and Oh, all those players. I mean, I wasn't yeah. even a fan, but I, I, you know, I just yearned for the days where Liverpool was that good. I, and they, I just own. I just. No, this is a huge opening. This is a huge chance. Um, they, but I just, Man City just looks so solid, man. It's it's going to be really neck and neck, man. We're yeah. in for something special. It's going to be who blinks first, really, all yeah. season. Absolutely. Um, no, the second, absolutely. the second point I wanted to touch on was we would okay. be remiss if we didn't uh, pay our respects to. Uh, the late Leicester City owner Kuhn Vishai um, Siwat Anaprava, who yeah, was one of the five yeah, yeah, who absolutely. lost his life in the helicopter crash outside the KP Stadium uh, just last weekend after Leicester's, uh, I think it was a one-one draw. The result doesn't matter. Um, this is this is bigger than sports. This is bigger than football. This is bigger than all of us. And we've seen on social media and around the world people who have paid their respects to a man who bought the club for not that much money in 2010 and, and took them to what they are and put so much faith in the players and Claudia Ranieri when they brought him in uh, and just did so much for the the club and the town and the, or the club and the city and the players and their families. Um, yeah. Casper Spiegel penning a really long thank you. Jimmy did he? Lombardi. I didn't see it. I didn't see it. It's, um, it's, it's a really, it's a really tough thing to swallow if you, if you're a Leicester supporter, even if just a football fan in general, um, yeah, and and we do want to pay our respects to a man who meant so much to the city I mean, and the club and everyone involved. So it just puts things in perspective. It on. does, you know. This we, we do like this, said, it really we just do this for fun. 
they really don't matter. And, and but the, I mean, this is just uh, it's such a tragedy. I, yeah, I mean, and and this is you know this is something that you can't really compare to anything else just because it is so different. Um, this was something that the helicopter rides. This was something that that Kuhn Vishai did after every single home game. Uh, NBC's lead play-by-play announcer Arlo White uh, before the Man City Tottenham game okay. was delivering his his perspective on on the the late Leicester owner, and he said this is something that he had seen maybe hundreds of times at the KP Stadium. The owner taking off in his helicopter uh, right, right in the center circle. That's right. Um, and it does it just just remind you that there are things bigger than than sport out there. Um, and to anyone listening who gets really invested as we do, um, we all we also both know that sports don't matter at the end of the day. Um, it's the people you surround yourself with in life. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm I know I'm speaking for myself when I'm I'm blessed to have you in my life, Willie, and everyone yeah. that I consider yeah. a friend. I'm blessed to have everyone in my life. Same to you, man. Who I know seriously. So really. It's just a reminder that it's a sport at the end of the day. It doesn't matter. Um, and there are other things that, that we should be paying attention to. And, um, you know, may, yeah. may Kuhn Vishai rest in peace. And, and may, may his legacy carry on with what is a classy, classy football club with Leicester City. Yeah, no, I, no absolutely. Um, it's just such a tragedy. And, you know... Um, just you, know, we. I can't. I cannot believe that happened. I cannot believe that happened. And and I know I shouldn't even really be saying this because it's it's really irrelevant. But what Lester did to win that title. I mean, Jose Mourinho said that was greater than all of his titles combined in the Premier League. You know, so yeah. I mean that that will live on. And no, I mean crazy. that that instance is bigger than sport. I mean that's yeah. that's a kind of. I mean. A lot of people don't even know how to pronounce Lester. Right. You know, it's it's one of those things where it's it's this this people don't even understand what this is, and once they understand it, they are blown away by by just by just what it is. Yeah. No, I, I, absolutely. So Abs- absolutely. You know. Um, it, yep. Perspective is so important, and we just hope that anyone listening to our podcast is able to understand their own perspective and understand that. You know, there are things that matter in life, and there are things that don't. Things that don't. Plain and simple. Right. Speaking of things that don't matter, uh, it's time to get to our hot take segment. Okay. Um, you know it as the favorite part of the show, where Willie mm-hmm. and I just continue to spew absolute nonsense, mostly out of my mouth, but you know, who knows? Um, I just got one today, and it's okay. It's go for it. Thinking about oh, Major League Baseball. Um, okay. Here's it. Here it is. Bryce Harper okay. is going to be the first, the first four hundred million dollar athlete in baseball. Period. He's four hundred million dollars. Four hundred million dollars from the Yankees. I'm, I'm assuming. Uh, I would say it's from the Yankees. Okay. But a, different reports have said that they're not interested in him, and okay. I don't blame them because. Sure. Uh, you know it. I mean, he's gonna hit fifty-five bombs in New in Yankee mm-hmm. Stadium, but mm-hmm. you know, is he gonna go the other way? I don't know. We'll see. But. Uh, Four hundred million dollars is the call. I'm going to call it right now, specifically. Uh, Fifteen years, four hundred and four hundred and fifteen million dollars. Wow! Holy smokes! Okay. So, currently, the biggest and- contract, the biggest slash longest contract in baseball, is Giancarlo Stanton's thirteen-year, three hundred twenty-five million dollars. Uh, 
mm-hmm. Bryce Harper is going to blow that out of the water. And do you think he's worth it? No, no, no. He's not worth 300 to me. But he's... it. Okay, let me rephrase that. He's not worth 300 based on what he does in the field alone, based on what he is off the field. He is the most marketable player in baseball. Mike Trout is mm-hmm. the best player in baseball, bar, I mean, hands down. But the most marketable are the Manny Machados, the Bryce Harpers, the outspoken guys, the Yasiel Puigs, the guys mm-hmm. who rub people the wrong way, the, the quote-unquote the bad guys, the <laughs> bad boys. I mean, those are the guys who teams can easily market. So Bryce Harper is that guy. I think he adds a lot to the Yankees brand uh, if he goes to the Yankees, which I think he probably will. Um, and it'll be for a lot of money. So there you go. Okay. You heard it here, folks. Bryce Harper to the Yankees, four years. Sorry. 15 years, $415 million. Yeah, $415 million. Okay. And that's my call. Okay, so you're you're saying from you, – so you do or you don't think it's going to be from the Yankees? I do think it will be from the Yankees. Okay. Um, interesting. Okay. I mean he is, you know, how old is he, 26? Something 26 like that. years old. He's one of the best players and I think he, you know – Listen, he got a lot of flack for – this is where, like, just basic digging, like – now, he's not, you know – his fielding is one thing, and it's decent, but – oh, and he was taking a lot of flack for hitting badly early in the season, but his on-base percentage was really high. Whereas if you look at a guy like Javi Baez, his average was really high, but he barely got any walks. So I think – I just honestly think – while this wasn't his best year, he got a lot of undue criticism, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, that, that might be true, but Bryce Harper also, he he hits for more power than Baez, which leads me to believe he gets the kind of Barry Bonds treatment more than Baez would. Sure. Um, I think pitchers are less scared of Harper, or less scared of Baez than they are Harper because of the long ball. Um, sure. And as a result, they pitch him a little more cautiously. He doesn't get pitches to hit. When he doesn't get pitches to hit, you start to chase. When you start to chase, you open up your strike zone, and that just leads to all kinds of failure. But when he was when he was locked in, he was he was hitting the ball the other way. He was hitting the ball. He was pulling the ball with a lot of power. He was doing Bryce Harper things, and that translates pretty much everywhere you go. Exactly. Absolutely. But um, he, you know, he obviously does have holes that have been exposed in multiple seasons. So. Yeah. Whether or not he's able to make adjustments wherever he ends up going, it will remain to be seen. It's, it's this is fascinating, Owen. Um, whether he makes adjustments, whether he really lives up to what we think he could be. You know, I mean, do you think? Do you think? Owen, how do you rank the best players right now? Uh, I mean, are are you Trout and one A, and then you know maybe one B? You got Betts and Harper. Or you you Betts is in no. there with Trout or well. Here's here's a sort of uh, 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 part two to my hot take. Uh, Bryce Harper's not my top five. Not in your top. All right, no. so we're your top five. No, he's not my top five. Uh, Mike Trout, Mookie Betts, Aaron Judge. Um, I'd even say Correa is on there. Okay. I'd say Altuve's on there ahead of Harper. Okay. Lindor ahead of Harper. Um, and mm-hmm. obviously I'm biased because he used to play for the, he played for the Nats for so many years, so, and I can't stand okay. the Nats because I'm an Atlanta fan. You know, sure. you, you all should know that. Um, yeah, no, I, I don't like Bryce Harper, and I don't think he's a top five player in baseball. Wow. Okay. Um, I'd put. God, who else would I put on that list? 
<laughs> I'm not up. I'd put Manny Machado on that list too, um, mm-hmm. even though too. Manny Machado is kind of a punk and he tried to injure Steve Pierce too. Um, well, Steve Pierce doesn't take it personally, but I think there's <laughs> a little bit of a, there's a little bit of a shenanigans in that. that well, bit. they're friends though. They're they are friends. friends, but I think you know. You they're, see, they're his daughter, Steve Pierce's daughter, was the flower girl in Machado's yeah. wedding. Yes. Um, let's see. JD Martinez. I mean, Offensively, I think I'd say is better than Bryce yeah. Harper. He doesn't play defense, and I'd say Bryce Harper has a better arm. Yeah, well, um, well, that's the thing, though. I was actually curious because, um, I mean, listen, those guys you just mentioned, Harper is a decent defensive player, but all those other guys you're just mentioning, um, Correa, Betts, Trout, they're all elite defenders. And I was wondering because he put Aaron Judge in there, who defensively you can't compare him. No, here's the thing that drives me nuts about Judge people think he's elite. Because he can hop over an eight foot fence when the man is already six eight. I'm like, dude, yeah. he just has to reach up and do a little bunny hop. Exactly. He, he, and his arm, he's throwing from halfway. He's throwing from like three quarters of the way to the infield. That's not a long throw. I mean, he has it, it's it's a good arm, but it's not like a superstar arm. I'd say the best arm of anyone in baseball, and again, I'm very biased, is Jackie Bradley Jr. He has mm-hmm. the most unreal arm of anyone in baseball. Yeah, he does. I don't know if anyone's seen this video, but there's a video uh, out there, I think Nesson posted a few years ago, of Jackie Bradley Jr. throwing a ball from behind home plate at Fenway Park into the center field bleachers on the fly. Wow. On a line. I have to see that. He has a cannon for an arm. Um, it's not always the most accurate, but when when he is able to, to line it up properly – uh, he makes Bellinger's throw look like uh, he makes that throw look awful, like routine almost. Yeah, no, he he has incredible arm. Which, on. speaking of which, I guess this is my second hot take. That wasn't okay. a great throw by Bellinger. It was five yards up the line. Ah, uh, if 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 he's playing five yards back in the infield, then that run scores. Well, it wasn't the best throw on, but he got it there got, on a, he got a, lucky. It was a hard throw. It was a hard throw. Mm. I'd say he got lucky because of where he was and where uh, well, where Kim, uh, who that, was running. If that's Mookie Betts, the run scores. You okay, can't. Well, throw yeah, Mookie, Mookie Betts is Betts really like fast. That. Mookie Betts is really fast. Okay, fine. That we'll, was we'll not say, that we'll was not a shallow time. throw. And we'll put it this way: on there are plenty. Like that wasn't a great throw, but he hit. He threw that ball on a line. It was fast enough to get there before Kinsler is not slow either. Mm, you know? Kinsler's in his mid thirties. He's not and as fast he, as he used to be. He throws it to the other side of the base. Then, then he, they don't get him. So I, I, I think it, if they don't throw it home, well, no, I'm saying if he, if he, because th- he missed to the, the third base side of the, well, I mean, that's the side you're supposed to miss missed, on. Right. Right. But, you know, if he if his throw is just a little, my point is his throw is just a little bit offline to the right, or just a little short to the right, they probably wouldn't have got him. He could have slid around him. So he missed in a good spot, and I think it was a pretty pretty decent throw. Okay. I mean, I, I say it was. I don't say it was. A, I don't think it was a bad throw. It just Bradley Junior. It just yeah, wasn't it was, as okay, it good of a throw, throw as everyone says it was. I mean, everyone Bradley was like Junior definitely made the throw. Benintendi. Well, he wasn't in the game actually. Benintendi, but yeah. Um, Bradley Jr. could definitely made that throw. Under the circumstances, it was a good Under throw. Under the circumstances, it was, it, was a, it was a good throw. It was really, really important. And the, honestly, too, if I remember correctly, I got watched again. But I don't think the ball, like, I think he did a really good job even to 
it wasn't like a ball that was like super high hit, so he had a ton of time to get behind it. Like he did really good in the circumstance to get himself behind the ball and then just quickly like launch it. I guess. Yeah, it's a good start. Yeah. Anyways, those are my hot takes. We've run way over our time, Willie. I want to hear yours though, and take right. don't I, don't feel rushed at all. All right, that's fine. I actually got like a handful here okay. about a few different sports, but I'll start with baseball because we're on that. So on free big um on um the baseball um list um so here is here's a hot take for you and um i'm gonna preface this by saying i don't honestly think this is gonna happen but because the signs aren't pointing to this but i'm gonna talk about the dodgers and the yankees what i think they should do in the free season okay here's my my skip bayless moment but hopefully i i'm right the Dodgers will forever regret not giving Manny Machado over $300 million. I don't care if they have Corey Seager on. This guy, I'm convinced, Owen, I'm all aboard the Manny Machado train. Um, wow. My solution, Manny I, listen, Owen, Manny Machado, he he did not hit that a ton, that great with the Dodgers for average, but he hit for power. He played better defense than expected. And Owen, I was doing a bit of research, and he, for player, he's 26 years old now, for players through age of 25, he has the 26th best WAR of all time. Play, do you know? You know? You want to hear some of the names that are, are below him? Go for it. Barry Bonds, Stan Musial, Willie Mays, Joe DiMaggio, Babe Ruth, and Lou Gehrig. All through the age of 25, had a worse wins above placement than Manny Machado. I think over a full season, Manny Machado proved worth. And my solution is this. And I don't care if they're not happy. If the Dodgers want to win a World Series. We've seen the fact that we listen. We know the the lineups that the Astros and specifically the Yankees and the Red Sox have. So if you want to win a World Series, you place Machado, you play him at shortstop, um, you take Justin Turner, you move him to first base. Muncy is your second baseman, and Corey Seager is your third baseman because they've been talking about eventually him moving on to third base. Sorry, Scott Boris. I know I know you're not going to be happy about it, but you got to do it. And if, if Corey Seager, I don't, I'm not sure how long he's under contract, wants to leave to play shortstop, so be it. That's how the Dodgers win a World Series, in my opinion. They won't do it, but that that's what they should do. That's a take. That is a take, my friend. And um, I'll, tell you, what, I'll so, tell you what, we'll put it this way. We're, yes, We're Corey talking about Seager the same Manny Machado player. who hit 182 in the World Series oh. with no extra base hits. Oh, and it's small sample size. I want you to look I know. I'm just busting your balls. <laughs> yes, I know Corey Seager is a special player, Owen. But uh, listen, whoever it is, if it's the Philadelphia Phillies, which a lot of people think that's where he's going to sign, like Machado's going to put up big numbers, Owen. This is a guy who's entering the prime of his career. He's, he, he loves the spotlight. So, uh, yeah. Yes, Owen, I, I know he didn't have a great World Series. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I think they should have they should sign him. That's my opinion. That's that's an interesting take, and I'll leave it at that. So you don't think they should? No, not three hundred million dollars. Okay. And he definitely well, lost himself a few million dollars for for his comments about not hustling and actually not hustling. Yeah. Okay. So that's okay. that's just me though. What okay. Do I know. Interesting. Okay, so my second take, and I guess here's my my take, which. But the so it goes along the points of the Yankees should not make the, the mistake of even if he's a great player signing Harper. Um, I, I want to talk about the 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 guy 
in free agency here that that no one seems to be um, talking about. And I, I want to tell you my solution to what I think the Yankees should do, okay? They should, if they want to win the World Series, they should spend big, but they shouldn't give that money to Harper. I'll tell you what they should do. They should give the money to two starting pitchers and Michael Brantley. You put Judge in the outfield, Hicks and Brantley in left field. You don't sign, re-sign Brett Gardner, and you have, you have Stanton DH. And Brand, Brantley, when he's healthy, first of all, Brantley, um, I did a little research, and I know it's like from watching Indians, like he makes a lot of contact. He has the highest contact rate in baseball. He's not a bad fielder. He'll do well with that short porch in right field. And then you have the free money to sign, throw money at uh, whoever it is, Avaldi, Dallas Keuchel, Patrick Corbin. Um, I know he's a little old, but but James Shields, um, guys like that. Hinja Ryu, Charlie Morton. There's tons of names. That would be a much – and, you know, Sabathia is up there. You need starting pitching. That is, that's my solution. If the Yankees want a World Series, that I think is the best solution. You know, I I would hesitate to comment on a team that wanted Boston and got Boston. Mm-hmm. So I'll leave it at that. I'll I'll let you talk about the Yankees because for right now everything everything in my head that that relates to the Yankees is uh, playing New York New York at Fenway Park and asking for the Red Sox and getting just completely shat on in Game Three of the ALDS. <laughs> Well, sure, um, sure. They, they really so did. So I, sure. for the next few months, I won't be able to talk anything logical <laughs> about the Yankees other than they okay. suck because they got demolished. <laughs> they <did. laughs> How many teams win a hundred games and are humiliated like that? They, yeah. I no. don't. I don't know. I, I will. I will let that. I will let you talk about the Yankees. So for sure. Pass. Well, oh, and I guess what what moves are you most looking most forward to in free agency? Uh, um, who are you looking most looking forward to? Honestly, seeing where the sun. Some of the the mid tier names, not I okay. mean, obviously Machado and Harper are going to change the complexions of whatever divisions they go to, even if they go to the same division. Okay. Um, I Who's think who are those guys? I think Michael Brantley is one of them. Avaldi is a big one, uh, well, especially after what he Josh did in the series. Donaldson as well. Nelson Cruz. Cruz. AJ um, Pollock. Exactly. Some of the Pollock and Corbin as well from that D backs team. I think their window's closed. Yeah. Uh, unless they sign both of them, I, th- I don't think they'll be able to sign both of them. Maybe just one. Unfortunate. But. Uh, yep. Yeah. So it, just a lot of the mid, kind of mid tier names. Okay. Andrew yeah. Miller. That's another one that I think's under the radar too. I, th- I think he's a little past his prime, though. You I think, think so? I think his effectiveness has definitely started to decline, and people are trying to figure out like what what he's got. Okay. Uh, Turn off. Like Chris Sale's okay. back foot slider to right handers and. Oh, you know what? Oh, and I'll tell you a I'll tell you a, a one a move that would really piss off the Yankees. Why don't they just not resign Kimbrell and sign Zach Britton? <laughs> that would be something. No, the Yankees will go get both. Okay. Or no, yeah. the Yankees will just get Bryce Harper. <laughs> yeah, that's probably what they're going to do. Um, we okay. want Harper for sure. <laughs> All right, I got. I actually got. I got the hot takes rolling in today, and I got three more hot takes here. Oh man. Okay. So here's my hot take, and longest show we've ever done. So yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm just. I'm ready, man. All right, so you know, all signs are pointing to this and I love rooting for people, man. I, I you know, I, I don't like to see people fail, which is why I think that at the risk of this blowing up in my face, I think the media do you know who I think the media is wrong on right now? I think that we're 
a great comeback story, Owen, we're going to see in the next couple of years is, is Jameis Winston. Right now, people are, are burying Jameis Winston, rightfully so. He hasn't. I mean, I love watching the NFL, and rightfully so. He has not played very well, and I think his time in Tampa is up. But um, I think that he's going to get a second chance somewhere. I don't know if it's the Giants, Denver, maybe Oakland, somewhere that, that needs a quarterback. And I think that he's going to end up um, becoming an average starting quarterback. So I think, are you are you telling me are you telling me you're not happy with Derek Carr the legendary no, Derek, Derek Carr? I, I I think he's not the same player he was. He got injured. He got a, an ankle injury. He he doesn't look like the same player. I'm, I'm not. I'm, Start the car. So now 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 okay. I'm not implying Derek Carr is a, a decent quarterback, and he's not the kind of guy that necessarily I'd be like, man, he's not he's not our guy. He's certainly good enough to be a starting quarterback in the NFL, but. Um, you know, maybe the patience will run a little thin with him at some point. And I'm not saying James Winston's the guy, but, you know. Point is, I think Winston's going to get a second chance somewhere, and I think he's going to do fun. All right, I'll let you have that one. You don't think so? No, I com- okay. no, completely disagree. He's garbage. Uh, he's, he's straight uh, garbage. As in, Owen, you think he's going to be a bust. There's nothing left in him. No. He's playing really garbage right now. Nothing. He showed flashes his first couple of years of being decent. And you know who you know who else showed flashes of being a great quarterback? Johnny Manziel. Look how that turned oh, out. You can't compare those guys. No way. Oh no, I'm just I'm just throwing that out there for the give him, give, And yes, I, I agree they have weapons around him, but you never know, man. Just in I'm not saying he's gonna be able to luxury of having Andy Reid or McVeigh or someone that has a great system, but new change of scenery sometimes and you know, Owen, maybe he'll never change, but but I think he'll smarten up and stop throwing the ball in his tight window. He's gonna so we'll go see. wherever he can get the best crab legs, and that's it. So too soon. All right, two more, two more, two more, um, two more takes here. Uh, number one, uh, I you know you've probably seen his name, Owen, but um, I think we have a new star in the making on the PGA Tour. By the way, of Cameron Champ. Who won the um, the event, the PGA Tour event last week, and not the WGC event? Yep, but yep. Well, I don't know if you you but you know I've been reading up on him and I've been watching clips and analysis on him. Oh, and, and this guy is 23 years old. He dominated the Web.com Tour last season. He has the highest club head speed on the PGA Tour. He hits the ball a mile, and he hits the ball pretty accurately too. So I think this is a guy that we just have this he. Is playing this week too. I, I think, from what I, I know about him, I just think he's going to be another big star on the tour. Yeah, and you know what else is cool about him? He's proudly oh. multiracial. Is he? Yep. He I didn't is know that. The product of a sec, a third generation multiracial marriage. Well, okay. So, interesting. Hell yeah, to my multiracial fam out there. Hell. That's yeah. so interesting. Okay, I did not know that. All right, my last. My uh, my last takes here. So uh, I've been watching a lot of the NBA because uh, I love basketball. I know you're not as big into it. But I want to give you a couple of teams that are no one is talking about and um, I think that are going to make some noise. The Atlanta um, Hawks. <laughs> no, not at all. I, I got to see the Atlanta Hawks. The Hawks are so and bad. <laughs> let's, let's leave I like Florian Prince, man. And uh, Trey Young had a good game 
uh, yesterday. No, let's not, but, don't talk about the Hawks. Let's just go. <laughs> and they beat the Mavs. That was good. They're, they're bad. They're bad. We don't talk they're, about they're them. They're really bad. All right. Um, number one, Owen, one team, everyone, I've been watching a lot of Laker games. Everybody's talking about the Lakers, but the team that in the Western Conference that's loaded specifically, um, the Nuggets are going to attention. The Portland Trailblazers, Owen, everyone is sleeping on them, but this is a team that they could just never – they always have played great in the regular season, always come up short in the postseason, but they have a new coach. They have a really deep bench. They're playing really well. They're scoring the ball at a really high clip. I think that um, there are certain teams I'm looking at Houston. I'm looking at Oklahoma City. They're struggling a little bit in the Western Conference. The Lakers don't really have the quite talent. I don't trust the, the Nuggets. I think that the Portland Trailblazers, Owen, our, our team come the end of the season – I don't think anybody's going to touch Golden State, but I think they're going to be right there. I just have a really good feeling about them. So what and you're telling then, me is Warriors in four? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that's now, that's no why I don't that, watch the NBA right now because well, it's Warriors in four. Listen, I love the NBA. I think there's a lot of young stars. I love basketball. But, but yeah, I mean, the Warriors right now, maybe you could say the Celtics, but there's no team right now that really yeah, looks right. right. Well, the Celtics have an incredibly talented team. They're not quite playing up to their potential, but they have a roster that could challenge Golden State. Mm, no. But another team no. that I want to – I just want to want to talk about uh, for a second that I think is not getting any love. I – and <laughs> there is a risk that I could be very wrong here, but I absolutely love the Detroit Pistons zone. They're getting absolutely zero attention. And specifically on – I think that Blake Griffin gets a really bad reputation because it's annoying, Owen, because Blake Griffin is perceived as just a guy who's frequently athletic, but he's a great dunker. But he is one of the most skilled basketball players I've ever seen. He can absolutely do everything. He can shoot the three. He can post up. He's running big, big pick and rolls and being a playmaker. He can rebound the ball frequently. He can guard. Him and Andre Drummond in the middle are an absolute beast. They have some good playmakers at the guards, not they're healthy. But my my hot take basically is a two-part that I think the Pistons are going to make some noise in the playoffs, and I think Blake Griffin is one of the most underrated players of this generation, man. I, I honestly think he's really, really good. Like, i got to be honest. He's really so good. So what you're saying is Warriors in four. <laughs> uh, look, I, no, I, I completely believe you, but the only reason <laughs> I don't watch it would be war. I'd take Warriors and Celtics over six, right now. Six. Or 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 I think that Toronto is actually a pretty good team that can I mean, make the series. I mean, the organization that won a franchise record number of games and then fired their head coach because they couldn't beat the best player on the planet. And they have Kawhi Leonard now. LeBron's not there, and they have Kawhi Leonard, and they have Danny Green. That's helped them a lot. They look really really good. They have incredible incredible defensive team. Okay, how about the team That's- that beat LeBron in four games? Well, on let me tell you something, okay? So the Houston Rockets, what they they were stupid. The reason why the Houston Rockets gave Golden State a run for their money was because of their defense. It wasn't because of this great D'Antoni offense. It was because they had um, they had great they had a great system. They have they copied the Warriors. They they're the first team to switch all the pick and rolls. They have great athletic defenders, but they lost their two best defenders, Mbamute and Trevor Ariza. And they look terrible on defense throughout the season. And But the Raptors, first of all, Kawhi Leonard's an upgrade over DeRozan. And the Raptors in Boston have incredible defensive teams. And I always thought the same thing last year. I uh, My thinking was 
the Cavs were going to beat Boston, but if Boston could beat Boston, would present a tougher matchup to Golden State. And yeah, I, I think that Boston this year is the team that has the talent to take them down. So we'll, we'll see. Well, all I got to say is I strongly disagree. Warriors and four. I don't like them, but it's Warriors and four. That's all I got to say. Okay. I don't watch the NBA anymore. I res- I'll support Atlanta, but Warriors and four. Let's let's move on now. It's not. This is not the sport I grew up loving. This is not the same thing. Everyone is just sitting behind the three-point line nowadays. No one's attacking the rack. It's just it's nauseating to watch. It's not even basketball. It's just, oh, let me sit behind the three-point line and shoot shot after shot. Oh, look at me. I shot 80% from three. I'm like, give me a goddamn break. Like, attack the rack, please. Once, someone, just once in your life, attack the rack. And yeah. Just like, I, I appreciate good ball movement. I appreciate teams that work the ball well to get open shots, specifically behind the arc. Mm-hmm. But don't don't pass up a contested uh, – don't pass up an open lane for a contested three. Please, just don't. Mm-hmm. I see that so much in the game nowadays. Yeah. And, you know. Sure. It's – the only times teams attack the rack make it onto uh, Bleacher Report highlights and SportsCenter <laughs> top tens because the guy's throwing down a, a just a, a ridiculous hammer, which is fun. But, you know. Yeah. Well, that that you should know be what, the, the part of your game that starts first. <sighs> Yeah, that's true, but I don't know. I, I mean, I guess uh, it's not perfect, but I'd rather see offense. I mean, if you have to choose, well, yeah, the, the teams are scoring at a ridiculously high clip. I actually read an article this week. As of Wednesday, I think teams that had scored less than 107 points in a game had only won 16% of the games, which tells you how high clip t- clips uh, at a clip teams are scoring this year so also not for everyone also but, can we change the shooting foul rule so that you can touch the guy or breathe on him when he's behind the three-point line because apparently you can't do that anymore well yeah but the it's, freedom of it's movement so stupid like the you know warriors what? the warriors and teams who who shoot that many okay. threes get so many four-point you know it's, it's ridiculous okay but you know what that is a great point listen there's too much offense right now there's there's, you can't it's not even that there's not enough defense. The it's freedom just, of movement. It's just the that they're not of, even officiating the game the same way. The, the hand checks, you can't – it's very hard. Around the perimeter, it's hard to touch guys. That's one of the big things no, they're talking can't. about. But, but but you know what, On A lot of sports are doing that. And honestly, maybe baseball should – I mean if you're – because we, we care, Owen, about sports at a, at a – I'd say a little bit of a bigger level. Okay. There's, but But in the sense that like if you're – like, uh, yes, they're not important, but if you talk about a casual fan, casual fans want to see score. Like, same thing, like uh, the N- NFL right now. You can't, you, can't, you can't hit any guys anywhere. You can't touch the quarterback. The PJ Tour slogans, live under par, they, they set up the golf courses for bombers, paradises. You know, it's not just the NBA that, that's, that's setting the course up in favor of, of attack or the, you know. No, I, I get that too, but it's also, you, you can't equate making the three-point lines, the three-point shooting rule so soft and player safety. It's not about player safety. It's about how do we favor scoring. It's not It's not about player safety. Don't don't kid yourself. In the NFL, it is because there's actual medical evidence that the way the league has played before was actually killing players. CTE hmm. is not a myth. It's a real yes. thing. Yes, true, true. But it's, it's not a thing in the NBA. Yeah. It doesn't. It's never been a thing in the NBA. It's not going to be a thing in the NBA. It's not a contact sport. 
but you can have a little bit yeah, of contact. Yeah. You won't. You're fine. It's no one. It's fine. You'll be fine. No, I, I get it. But I think I, I just think that. Well, it may be a bit annoying at times. I mean, I think the casual fan basketball is so trendy right now, dude. It's like a lot of people. It's, it's like like uh, it's, I hate to say it, dude, but it's like basketball right now is like what uh, rap is or um, you know, it's trendy. Basketball is very trendy, and casual people who turn on a game that may not be huge fans love seeing three-point shots. They love seeing scoring. It's all part of the brand, I think, uh, of the league, you know? Now, if, if you're a closer watcher, then, then maybe you have an issue with it. I, I perhaps wish that they tweaked the rules a bit too, but I get that to a lot of the casual fans, they, they like seeing it, you know? Yeah, because it's well, financial. At the end of the day, it's a financial argument. Yeah, speaking of financial arguments, uh, it's a this business. is the longest show like, we've ever done in why, life, so it's not really. Why, why rappers, um, you know, why rappers make catchy music, right? Yeah. Sell, it sells. Anyways, this has been by far the longest yeah, episode we've ever recorded. How long have we gone now? Uh, two and a half hours. Oh my gosh. And your boy's got to get some sleep. And I don't yeah, mean to so- cut us off. No, that's good. Pretty much at this point in the day. But uh, we've been recording this for a long time, and we've gotten through a lot. But at the end of the day, uh, it's just sports. It doesn't really matter. Yeah, sure. Whether really you not listen to the show, I won't lose sleep over it. Um, that's right. But I, I hate that's to kind of wrap great. it up at this point um, because I feel like there's still a lot to unpack, and especially as we get into the off season of baseball and, and soccer is going to be up and down, we're going to have a lot to talk about. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we'll have to leave that for another time. Yeah. Um, Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, we really appreciate your support and your comments about the show. If you have anything we could do better, probably keep the show a lot shorter. But, you know, yeah, do. Um, feel free to get at us. Uh, social media links in the description below uh, or wherever you see your descriptions where you li- listen to these podcasts. Uh, this will hopefully be up by uh, – we're recording this Thursday, uh, November 1st. It will be hopefully be up Friday the 2nd at around 7 a.m. Um, and – with that said, uh, I think that's all we have. Um, Willie, thanks so much for, for bringing yeah. all those takes. You really carried us sure. to the last segment of the show. Uh, all right. <laughs> more than I was anticipating, but you know what? We roll cool. with it. We roll with it. That's all we do on the show. And my ending thought, I'm just going to say on my ending thought that I'm very, very sad that Wayne Rooney missed the penalty kick. Okay. I, 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 he, I love him. He's been great for the league, and the I was sad to see that. Very sad. Can't stand Wayne so, Rooney. Ugh. I love him. Lifelong Evertonian and Manchester United. Yeah. Yeah. Blech. <laughs> Wayne Rooney. All right. Thank you, buddy. Anyway, so thank long. you for joining me, Willie, as always. Uh, mm-hmm. And thank you all so much for tuning in. This has been episode 14 of Hot Takes Only featuring your your good friend, Willie, my good friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, thank you so much for joining me, as always, Willie. And we will see yep. you next time.